Wrestle Connection Podcast Network listeners, welcome back inside the Wrestling Warzone, the Monday Night Wars podcast retrospective series. I am JT, and joining me as ever is my partner on the show, Chad. Chad, how are you? Doing good. Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame voter. Yeah, look at you, big time. Is this your first or no? You've had one before, haven't you? Nah, I had oh, it before. First. And then uh, there was the uh, canuffle with Josh Nason when he took over for Big Dave and started sending out the ballots. And I guess uh, Big Dave is taking over the reins because I kind of got blindly emailed on uh It's always interesting what he replies to. It was something else like that I'd submitted almost a year ago too we had a little bit of correspondence so we emailed that with the ballot all right well glad you're repping the no so it's exciting yeah. to have you on the on the ship you want to reveal anything or you're going to keep it uh, under wraps I, I mean i'll reveal I, I actually need to do some research i know since the last i think it's been four or five years since i voted last there's been uh most of the people i was really championed have gotten in this year it's different because he started adding a lot of tag teams. Like that's a new thing this year. Right. So like I've always been a Akira Tyway voter and actually I wrote an article for Voices of Wrestling a long time ago now. Um champion him. So I I voted for him as a singles, but now he's uh kind of teamed in with Toshiaki Kawada as the Holy Demon Army. So that's like a no-brainer. Like, I'm definitely going to be voting them. So I think he'll get in by proxy with them going in. You going to vote for the Rockers? Uh, no, definitely not voting for the Rockers. Um, definitely voting for Junkyard Dog. Uh, everything else is kind of up in the air. Probably Sergeant Slaughter I'll vote for as well. Neither of those guys are in. Uh, Shawn Michaels is in. That's, what, that's yeah, the I weird thing. Was, I can't believe Slaughter's, Slaughter's not in. Yes, yeah, Slaughter's not in. JYD's not in? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised with JYD just because the perception's still so bad, like with the junk food dog crap. I, I know, mean, but just as mid south stuff alone. Yeah, like, but people people justify that as like uh, you know, a, a flash in the pan. I mean, even Dave himself, like a week ago, that whole debate with him and Omega, like that was just I don't know. It, it was what it was, but like Let's put it this way, like Mid-South did not have as hot a run as when JYD was on top. Right. When Omega left New Japan and Okada was on top still, they did fine. They didn't see business really drop off, so there you go. All right, well, for more hot Observer Hall of Fame insights, I'm sure to keep, <laughs> keep posted on this right. podcast right here. Right. We'll hear more. Uh, speaking of hot takes, uh, last week, chat i had a uh, little bit of an issue at home <laughs> i went to oh. I, was, I was laying down on the couch went up to bed probably around midnight uh, my yeah. son had passed out in our bed and he'd been bad a little bit of a cold so we had given him some benadryl and he's a little bit out of it uh so i put him in his bed i go lay down and then you had a click of the door open which you know is always a problem right because you know mm-hmm. something's happening so he comes out and i happened to like i don't know what made me realize what was happening so I'm like, this kid has to pee. I could tell. And he was like confused where he was. So I run out and I'm like, dude, here, just go to the bathroom. But he's like sleepwalking. And he's like, no, no, I just need my water. And I'm like, no, I can tell you have to pee. Like, let's go pee. And he's like, no, I just need my water. And before I knew it, he whipped it out and took the longest piss ever into our dirty laundry basket at midnight. 
And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> what are you doing? It had to be like a three-minute piss. Like, I don't know how he even had this much urine in his body. Um, so he did it. He closed up and he was waddled off back to bed, leaving me to have to clean up this mess at midnight. Put on a load of clothes. Just awful. <laughs> uh, the laundry basket, I assume, was – it's enclosed. It doesn't have, like, the holes or what? Because – Oh, no, it has the holes, but oh. there was enough clothes in there that he, like, peed in the, in oh, the middle. Oh, he peed kind of... on the clothes. Oh, yeah, like, all over the clothes. Uh, so, okay. But that was a fiasco, too, because I had to figure out, like, kind of, like, which, because, you know, at, at midnight, you're not going to spend a lot of time. So I had to kind of make a call, like, all right, am I, I'm just cramming as much as I can in. Am I going to try and figure out what's what? But, yeah, it's, it, it, uh, he hit a good, good amount of clothing. I did have a similar episode. It's been, like, seven or eight years ago. Um, I think it was pre-kids. I woke up in the middle of the night and tried to, like, wander off to the bathroom, but was sleepwalking. And uh, I don't even really remember it, but Jennifer came into the other room and said I was peeing in, uh, like, a big, like, cup from McDonald's or Taco (laughs) Bell, one of those, like, large soda cups. (laughs) So I filled that puppy up. Did you wash it and keep it, or did you throw it out? Chad, what are you doing now? Through it out, you know, it's one of those plastic cups. You're in no memory of that. It's been okay. (laughs) Yeah, UFC (sighs) training. (laughs) Well, it's like last. So last weekend we had um, we actually had a rare Sunday off from softball, so I had a little gathering for football. Uh, We probably had like a good twenty-five people coming between adults and kids. So. All morning, I was like going crazy. Get the yard ready, get the patio ready, because it was it was like seventy hours. It was like perfect, so we did it outside. So it's like eleven thirty, and uh, our neighbors' kids are over. And I go to the back, I go to the garage, I got an extension cord. I come back out, I'm kind of setting things up, and I smell shit. And I'm like, <laughs> so my neighbor's son is three. I'm like, hey, you know, buddy, did you poop your pants? And, and he just looks at me, and walks away. So I'm like, all right, he probably pooped his pants. So a minute later. I glance over and I was running my smoker and I noticed the extension cord from the smoker was sitting in some standing water and it hit me that the septic was bubbling up over the cover and that was a shit smell. So I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, like I got 25 people coming over and a septic that's overflowing. Now I had it pumped in March and the guy expressed some concern about uh, the drainage. So I run inside. My wife's in the shower. I'm like, get the fuck out of the shower now. Uh, I call the guy at a panic. I leave him a message. He texts me back. He's like, basically, don't use anything um, hardcore. Like, keep it sparing until I get there tomorrow um, yeah. on Monday. So I had to go to the neighbors. I to talk to neighbor. And I'm like, can we use your bathroom for this party? So I had the guys pee in the woods. The girls had to go across the street to their house to pee. Um, luckily, the smell subsided because once we stopped using stuff, the it kind of seeped back down into the ground. The guy came out Monday and it's basically considered failed. Um, But it's still like working. It's just not draining enough to like really hold a ton. So we're going to have to just pump it like every six months right now. I'm not going to replace it at this moment because it's a lot of money to replace it. And um, we're likely maybe getting sewers in the town in the next like three or four years yeah i can't believe you don't have one coventry doesn't have sewers oh my lord so there it's a whole thing right now they're trying to build a plan and getting water from a well up there too no 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 we got no no well water for me uh pots of country do have well water though uh so no but so like i'm not gonna spend like freaking 20 grand on the septic that if we can get sewers in the next few years so the guy said if you just pump it 
like every six months or so, like for now. So you do that. I like don't. You're pump. the one that pumps it. No. Or you no, get you them. need like the big shit truck to come and. Okay. Yeah, I, mean, that's that's what what I was wondering. No, no, it's a whole thing. So it's but uh, okay. the, but the cost of it is like not that bad to do it uh-huh. twice a year is like cheaper. It would take me a, a lot of years to if I kept pumping every six months to equal paying for a new system. If the sewer thing fails, I, I might have to consider it because I don't know eventually if this will go. But he said for now, like we're fine as long as like every six months or so he comes and pumps it out. Wow. Yeah, it was just wild. more of the fucking timing, though. It was like, <laughs> what I mean, it, over, you know? It'd have been appropriate if it had been during the Broncos game. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, boy. Anyway. Assholes are on prime time every week. Terrible. It's oh, brutal. They suck. Especially if yeah. lost out. Good timing. So Got them Sunday, so we'll see. All right. All right, let's dive in. Uh, so we're going to do uh, – it's a, it's a big week of Monday Wrestling. We got uh, November 4th, 1996. We're going to be starting with Raw, but did you want to cover any Observer insights before we dive into the show? Yeah, I mean, these, this is actually – like, what we're talking about is a cool Observer thing. <laughs> um, I don't even know how we want to go through it, but uh, – like, Was there stuff happened on this show like do you want to do that after the show or? yeah yeah there's a lot like we can kind of just talk about it as it goes along i mean dave like i'll just preference it by this where of course this is like story time with dave he says there are three <laughs> cardinal rules to remember when watching pro wrestling on television one everything is a word designed to get over a storyline Two, the word work is a euphemism for con game or lie, an often entertaining one, but in its heart, one nonetheless, but with a nicer ring to it. Work is a carnival word for con, just as mark is a carnival term for gullible sucker, not a term of endearment for sports fans or loyal customers. Three, when in confusion about anything, remember rule number one and realize it really means rule number two. So... (laughs) Uh, he, he preferences that when he talks about the controversy of everything. So, I, I mean, I, we can kind of preference this. I mean, this is a story for all, of course. Um, I, I, I think this is a, one, a very interesting raw to look at, both in retrospect and also to talk about kind of what the dialogue was. Uh, in real time, because because I do think that shifted in some ways. But um, what's well, so I was curious, like, did people really think this was real? Is that what he's trying to get at? Like, I mean, there was some interesting stuff. So I could have seen like Dave and Keller, especially kind of clutching their pearls over that. Right. I would say, like, first off, like both of them were pretty uh, positive of it, but. Uh, let me just read this. This is another paragraph from it, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, re- reaction to the angle varied. Since the angle wasn't designed to promote a current feud, uh, somewhere down the line, Pillman and Austin will probably wrestle, but that isn't going to happen until next spring at the earliest. And in actuality, took away heat from a current feud, a key transition angle in the Sean versus Sid story. Its real sole purpose was twofold, to establish Raw's new time slot and to garner ratings. It probably succeeded in the former and did to a point in the latter, although not as well as those involved in the angle would have liked. Uh, So while pulling even with WCW's Nitro for a 15-minute block was a positive, it had to be almost a devastating blow that in the midst of the ultimate hotshot angle for such a significant audience turnaround, in the final quarter hour where WCW went from dead even 
to a 0.7 ratings advantage. So that's something we'll talk about, like in the third quarter hour where they're head to head. So this would be from 8.30 to 8.45. The ratings were dead even. I think they're both like 2.8. Right. Uh, in the last quarter hour, WCW takes a 0.7 ratings advantage, which is pretty surprising. Wow. Um, but but here's where he talks about kind of the reaction. So there's two observers, both on November 11th and November 18th, kind of cover this. Dave, Dave, like I said, he's he's fairly positive on the angle. Doesn't say like, you know, hey, maybe they went too far with the gun and stuff slightly, but it's wrestling, so whatever. Uh, Keller generally has the same point, but here's Dave. He says, some people were very offended by the angle, even to the point where Steve Beverly, that's from uh, old Matt Watch guy, I remember. Mm-hmm. Steve Beverly in the Columbus, Georgia Journal and on the Wrestling Observer Hotline suggested the USA Network cancel Monday Night Raw. However, reaction on the internet ranged from 70 to 75% positive, with some calling it the most compelling hour of wrestling television ever, although if it was that compelling, the audience wouldn't have dropped as the angle went on. So, again, there's there's kind of a wide swath. It seems like Steve Beverly's kind of the more on the extremist side, but right. um, overall, I felt like people were fairly positive on the angle and saw it as like edgy, but not necessarily over the line. We're definitely going to get the pro clutching is really still to come as we get into like 98 uh, with, with a lot of online pundits during that era. Well, but. I mean, yeah, we can get to it, too. That's interesting, too, though, because I, I don't know. Well, um, yeah, there's a whole thing with this where the live wire, you know, after this week mm-hmm. where Vince is on the live wire. And uh, it, it's pretty humorous. Monsoon Classic has a 12 minute clip on YouTube. I'd recommend watching with some of the callers. There's one, uh, I think her name was Lisa from Florida, but uh, Florida by way of Staten Island, uh, Del Boca Vista. But um, <laughs> she she was uh, talking about how deplorable it was. And, uh, you know, Vince was apologetic and said, you know, they were at fault and then assured Lisa and everyone else that <laughs> WWF will not cross that line again. And, you know, we'll have wholesome program from that point on. Well, they never did have another uh, home invasion with a gun. So I guess he held true to that. Yeah, one. no home invasions with a gun. He was just held uh, at gunpoint at Fake one gun. point in the middle of the ring. Was that, a, gun, sure. was that a Bruce from Connecticut as well that time? No, no Bruce from Connecticut. Okay. Uh, no, no Russo calling in. From what I could tell, so yeah. All right. I mean, I'm sure there was plants, but nobody like very, uh, very discernible and recognizable. Paul Heyman or whatever. All right, you want to dive into the show then? Yeah, let's go in. All right, November fourth, nineteen ninety six. We're still in Fort Wayne, Indiana, for Monday Night Raw. Uh, we start with our seven fifty seven tip off. So we've moved from. Uh, nine o'clock all the way up an hour. So Raw is going to be earlier competing now with the first hour of Nitro, not the second hour. And they're getting the three minute jump. So they're trying to get in ahead of um, Nitro. I don't remember what was airing still before Nitro. I don't think Thunder in Paradise was still on at this point before no. Nitro. I don't recall exactly what the lead in was. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Well, Raw's getting the jump. Uh, we have highlights of Steve Austin causing mayhem in the studios last week. He had his threat to show up to Brian Pillman's house tonight. We then see outside footage of Pillman's house in Walton, Kentucky. Vince tells us that Kevin Kelly will be on the scene, our old friend. 
King gets in a Jets Super Bowl joke. Thank you. Uh, of course, through the year that come back to that. We set up uh, the face to face between Sid and Shawn Michaels tonight as well. We then get our opening animation that picks up a, a cough over it, which is interesting. I forgot to try <laughs> the opening animation. So we go outside uh, to Walton, Kentucky. Kevin Kelly is outside Brian Pillman's house. He said he's going to conduct a live interview with Pillman shortly. He reminds us of Steve Austin's threats. Brian Pillman and his wife are inside. The kids have been sent to the grandparents due to this threat. But Pillman is immobile. Uh, as we know, he just had surgery on his ankle. He yeah. and he's on edge due to the threat. Kevin said he'll ask the hard questions soon when he heads inside. Um, I forgot to ask. You, you didn't watch us live, right? Uh, no, I was uh, WCW only. Yeah, I, I 100% watch this live um, And I had it taped Because I taped every Raw Starting in April of that year So I rewatched it quite a bit after Afterward uh, Yeah, this. I mean this is an interesting Show for me um, I can talk about my journeys We got through it too I will say like watching the stuff in retrospect uh, And watching all the stuff Kind of helped um, Compared to when I watched it in yearbook format, which mm-hmm. is probably the last time I saw it. But, yeah, this is not, not a – I mean, I think this will all hold special attachment for a lot, but not – you know, there's no nostalgia for me with it. Yeah, for me, I mean, again, I've, I've talked about probably all throughout our show here just the gradual turnaround of the product in wrestling in general during the stretch was so – amazing to witness live like from the doldrums of 95 we've covered those 95 bras and most of 96 to like all of a sudden like this really coincided with austin heating up um it was like oh my god like this is insane this is crazy this is awesome this is no longer like duke drossy and whoever you know like milling around a raw and maybe you get a hot match or angle every now and then and um, obviously Nitro had been great for most of the year, but it just felt like this was like an awakening and the timing like could have been more perfect for me, you know, middle of high school for wrestling to start heating up was just a really cool time period. So like this raw always almost, I don't say symbolized the official kickoff of it. Like, I think we've been edging toward it, but this is really where to me, like WF starts to push the chips into the table to say, we're going to start getting a little bit edgier. It takes a while for it to take over the promotion, but I think there's a semblance of this like every week from here on out now, like where there's something is going on that feels way more alive and edgy and worth watching um, on a weekly basis. Yeah. I mean, I think the main difference for me when I was watching it compared to everything we had was, um, you know, we had stuff before, like Goldust giving Ahmed CPR or whatever that was kind of racy uh, angles. But this predominates the show. As we talk about, like, the matches really don't matter. Right. And it feels like up to this point, we would have gotten the same exact Raw, and then we might have had, like, one hot angle. Um between Austin and Pillman like maybe a a one-off even if it wasn't his house which is still also a departure but it could have just been like a backstage brawl you know or something you know like we've had spurts of that like I go back to the Goldust Ahmed or the uh, sorry Goldust Razor brawl yes in January like that was a cool like one-off moment but 
I don't remember that rope, but I'm guessing it wasn't great beside it. So no, it's like, all right, cool, that. cool angle, but you know, in the grand scheme of things, it was just it was just one segment that was good. Um, even like the, I mean, I guess when Sean collapsed from the Owen insecurity, you got a little bit of that, but I mean, this is such a like we'll talk about it. Like this is such an overshadowing uh, event on this episode of Raw. That even your world title program that's uh, headlining a big four pay-per-view in two weeks gets overshadowed by mm-hmm. this ankle. So it's it's I do think this, you know, whether it was a ratings pull, I mean, certainly I think it was. Oh, yeah, definitely. Pull, I think it was a, a push the envelope, but uh, it, it, it felt definitely like a start departure, which was nice. I mean. We've had these stagnant Raws for a while now, and uh, this was something different, if nothing else. Well, I think it signifies, too, that they're all in our Austin as their main piece. Like, that's, to me, yeah. is really the the what the takeaway. Like, yes, it's a rating stunt. Yes, they're moving 8 o'clock. They wanted to catch some eyes and make a statement. But to me, what it tells you is that Steve Austin is now the person that this promotion is being built around. Whether Sid wins the title, whether Sean retains the title, whether Bret Hart's coming back. Austin is the driving factor through everything going on right now. He's the one that gets talked about all night. We saw it last week where he was on the show 15 times in every other segment. Like it is clear that they know now that he is the guy they want to really focus this promotion around going forward. Yeah. My, my takeaway from watching this show this time was that if you treat this raw as a character study on building Steve Austin as a character, uh, it's much more rewarding. And this is where I do think retrospect comes into play because you think about like other major characters and television shows and whatnot. Like I go back to the fly episode and breaking bad, you know, that bottle episode where they're in the lab, there's that fly, whatever. As a standalone episode, if you come in cold to that, you're kind of mm-hmm. like, what is, you know, what is this? But if you look at it, in the whole zeitgeist of the whole show as a whole, and you think about like this attitude era as a whole, when you go back to it and think about it now in retrospect, like the memories of that, it's easy to say, oh, that was a highlight for the guy that'll be the biggest star of this Mm -hmm. promotion. Like that set him off. And that was a very important moment that you could keep recollecting and, you know, you can add it to the greatest hits and whatnot into that Rolodex. Um, so I think thinking, you know, there's, there, there's a few kind of micro things that when we examine the show as a whole, I'll right. try to point out that I'm a little negative on, um, it had been way more negative on, but this time as I approached it, it's just like, oh, this is from the mindset of getting Austin over. And whether that was like their main objective or not, I don't know. But it turns out it worked either way because now it is, you know, it becomes that just in the lore of what happens. Uh, what do you think overall. of the success eventually that he brings? You can trace it not just to this moment, but to this month like this. <clears throat> this month is what sets him up for all that future success. It started yeah. in the studio. Live wire, breaking Pillman's ankle, busting into the house, and then the match of Bret Hart, right? I mean, it's that month, right? It's really what, like, shows that 
this is the guy. And that this is the month when you look back to say, you know, King of the Ring was a big moment, right? But he really didn't do much after that for a bit. So it no. really was, you could almost tie it to the music in a way too. Like when that music debuted at, at Barrett Alive and he beats Triple H, like that's that's kind of the official salvo that we're all in because it's really been that, that taping after that is where it all kicked in. Yeah, I, I think the month and the program certainly solidify him. I, I just like this as a standalone for him because, yeah, like, for Brett's sure. Brett, Brett's not on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Pillman is, and Pillman was very integral in early 1996 with his WCW, ECW, eventually WWF stuff. Like, was that loose cannon persona? But, um, I I just think it's it's very interesting. I I just don't know if we have many episodes like this in wrestling history, honestly, no. where it feels very because I, I I think the seven twenty nine nitro with you know Savage jumping on the limo mm-hmm. at MGM like that's a that's a very memorable show um, where they kind of break script and. It's again, then some portions of that with it, you know, kind of staying on set, so to speak, there in the arena. It resonates with me more. There's there's certainly aspects of this that I do think stray a little too far from quote unquote like wrestling that I enjoy personally. But um, yeah, it's it's a very interesting show to kind of digest, like I said, retrospectively. And we know it was. Uh, but but even in the moment, like it certainly created some buzz because I mean, like you know, they weren't talking about like Dave didn't lead off the Observer with Vader challenging Shawn Michaels at <laughs> right, SummerSlam. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that right. was that was just an angle. You know, that's yeah. This was something more. All right. Well, let's see how the rest of the show matriculates here. Uh, we have our opening match, and that is Goldust taking on <laughs> the Stalker, yeah. Battle of former WCW Tag Team Champions here, Barry Windham. And uh, so Goldust has Marlena. He's got Hunter S. Helmsley. He's got Mr. Perfect. He's got Crush and Clarence Mason with him as he comes out. So it's his whole Survivor Series team. Vince right away calls the stalker Barry Windham. Uh, yeah. So I, the stalker stuff is already pretty much fading. Like they've they've given up on it. He's still wearing the camo, but he's pretty much just Barry Windham at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, this one, he's not wearing face paint. Yeah. And he has like some camo pants on, but he's wearing just the generic WWF, uh, yeah. like sure. new generation or whatever shirt, which is not a good omen for his uh, whole push, I'd say. It's like a trade off. Like he at least gets the name and dumps the stalker stuff, but yeah, he gets the generic t shirt. Yeah. I, I did like the Survivor Series teams that are ringside. Yes. That was kind of cool. Uh, Vince says Mero is going to, Mark Mero is going to cut loose tonight. Uh, Jerry Law is excited to see his Survivor Series team at ringside. He is part mm. of that team as well. Vince hypes that match, reminds us the Stalker will be joined by Mark Merrow, Mark Henry, and Rocky Maivia in that one. And we do see the crew at ringside. So very quietly, we have the uh, on-screen in-arena debut of Rocky Maivia here at ringside for this match. Yeah, this is the first time he's been, uh, I guess, front-facing to the mm-hmm. crowd. He yep. was backstage when Hart announces his return but uh actually on the arena for all yes on screen i think they had been doing the kevin i think they already did those sit downs yeah Yeah, i think so uh goldust meets uh windham in the aisle they throw down until they get back in the ring uh like you said windham doesn't have any face paint on vince is calling him the whole time windham 
Doc Hendricks cuts in from the studio. He says he's got Steve Austin on the phone. Austin's in a rent-a-car. He just left the Cincinnati airport, and he wants to talk to Vince. Austin gets patched in and confirms he's on his way to the house. And as, prom- uh, as he had promised, he said he's the biggest star in the world, and he won't be stopped. Austin says Pillman brought this mess on himself by turning his interview time into a Bret Hart shrine. And now he started Austin 25-17. I will strike down upon your ass with great vengeance and furious anger. Vince warns Austin that Pillman's friends are around the house, but Austin says he has a six-pack of whoop-ass and he ain't intimidated by his friends. King says Pillman threatened to have a gun, and Austin says Pillman doesn't have the gut to do that. Vince says this will be trespassing, not wrestling. Austin says if something happens, Vince can make amends for us on his behalf because he's a big star and can do what he wants. Uh, so back to the match in a minute, but what do you think of Austin cutting in here in real time on the way to the house uh, and basically <laughs> telling the world what he's about to do? I guess he was using a bag foam. Um, I don't know what the tech was like in 1996. Oh, it's probably like mom, an actual car phone, yeah, like that was connected. Yeah. My my mom, I know, had the bag phone, I think, around that time. So uh, <laughs> he, uh, his voice was kind of, I don't know, gravelly. It was it was different. Uh, yeah. But I mean, what he says is cool. I mean, like again, like the the matches here are very like secondary <laughs> to what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he yeah, there. I mean, he's cutting in, but it's a little bit like the uh, the hockey game in the background to OJ. <laughs> <Getting> <laughs> right. right. The uh, it, I found it interesting, too. He tries to do the Bible verse. It seems like they're still not 100 percent sold that it's 316. It's it, like it seems like they think maybe different Bible verses could work, but it's eventually, yeah. of course, it's only 316. But it seems like he's still they still try and sneak him in every now and then where he does different ones. Six pack of whoop ass. I don't think that was used too often, but mm-hmm. that uh, that worked. I thought. Well, that becomes, I mean, is it mainly him that, like, brings that into, like, the pop culture? Like, whoop-ass became a thing um, at the time. Like, I remember a lot of people saying it. I don't know if it was solely him or if it was anywhere else out there. Like, I'll open up a can of whoop-ass? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. I don't know. Yeah, you can see the pieces coming. Uh, the match has kind of been going along. Uh, some basic strikes and mat work. Goldust tumbles outside. Stalker's crew shoves him back in. King leaves the booth to go join his team as Wyndham heats up in the ring with a backdrop and a gut wrench suplex. Vince calls King lecherous as he creeps around Marlena. <laughs> That's definitely a good word for King. Uh, Goldust blocks a superplex with headbutts, kisses him, and then slugs him to the mat. Goldust needs a boot when he comes off the middle rope as we go to a break. We kind of get the classic black and white Survivor Series ad as Austin is in a warehouse and he's taunting Brett. That's a pretty infamous one. Uh, after break, both guys tumble outside, and that triggers a big brawl with Crush popping Maivia and Mark Henry stalking the king. Hunter uses Wyndham as a shield for Mero, and we get the bell for a no contest. The big brawl rolls on. Uh, Vince is ignoring it. He's uh, talking about Austin circling the neighborhood. Maivia gets the big spot, though. It's a big cross body, and the face is clean house, so he gets a little shine in there. Even though, again, there's not a ton of focus on what's going on. Uh, the match itself was lame. I mean, it was like you said, it was dominated by Austin <laughs> on the phone. Yeah. Uh, the brawl was pretty tepid at the end, too. I thought both guys looked slow and rough in the ring. Um, I think Goldust, I don't know if he's still banged up or what's going on, but he has not been the same since Ahmed Johnson and all that feud. Like, there's definitely something. Honestly, you could trace it back to April with that knee injury. Like, I don't know how much he's just been working through issues, but... Everything seemed to turn for him with that match with Warrior and all that nonsense. Since then, he's been way more plotting and um, much slower. And Wyndham, Wyndham's clearly just broken down. Uh, I felt like they were going through the motions outside of some spots. I think Goldust needs to change. Um, even the brawl was a bit weak. So, star and a quarter for the match for me. But again, it, it didn't matter. They could have put anyone out there. It was all about Austin. 
Yeah, I, I want to start. I, I mean, Goldust, I would say he has a little bit of Bray Wyatt disease uh, yeah. around this time where, like, I mean, he's a better worker than Bray, but it's still, like, he's so character-focused, and the character is different. I mean, he mm-hmm. kisses Wendell Mayer to gain the advantage. Um, but it's so, like, well, what's the ultimate objective, you know? And are you just being bizarre or weird? to be weird or do you have an objective is it psychology is it your lifestyle there's there's so much like ambiguity that you don't have any real sense of what's going on like you know he had that like loose affiliation with mankind that seems to be done now you know so he's kind of in the wilderness for sure which we've talked about uh stalker barry windham certainly is um it's just sad i i don't know it, it's it's very Wyndham around this time is very sad for me mm-hmm. it's 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 very um you know willie mays new york man like that type of uh well, i feel like he's a guy that could maybe pull one out every now and then like it's in there if they find the right night with the right match like you may still crack it but for most weeks it's going to be rough yeah it's um so overall as a match itself there's just not much here um even though i did say it was nice to have the teams out there's a there's a couple of interesting things with the teams there's you know the new blood with henry and my via uh in on the face side but overall the, I, I think when you see the the whole teams out there it does still highlight that the mid card there's there's still some holes here you know there, there's still a few gaps as far as uh, creating overall a compelling roster from like the top of the card to the very bottom. Right. All right. We see Kevin, uh, Brian and Melanie Pillman. They're in the living room as Vince sets up the night ahead. We don't really hear them. They're just kind of chatting. We get our survivor series report with doc Hendricks. We find out taker or, or revisit undertaker versus mankind. Paul bear will be locked in the shark cage. Um, we also get an in-the-ring interview with Doc, Mankind, Paul Bearer, and the Executioner from a recent Big Bang Boom Tour house show. Uh, ended with Taker's gong and kind of a voiceover warning, so not a ton going on there. No, like, and so I was going to ask, I don't know if you attended a Big Bang Boom Tour event, but um, if you if you watch this segment, which I said was from that, there was the big raw letters in the entrance mm. way. I didn't know if they thrown those out on the tour or if they tape this at the same Fort Wayne taping and then it must have been in the same taping. Yeah. Yeah. I went, um, I think I went to one at the end of 96. That was one of the least years I went. I didn't go to a lot in 96. Um, I'm trying to think, I think there was one at the end of the year I went to though in like December, but I, I don't remember Yeah, December 28th. I think I went to that one. I don't remember there being any raw letters or anything like that. I, I thought the reveal of the cage lowering uh, in the like mannequin of Paul Bear look yeah. alike hanging upside down was pretty lame. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was that was very hokey. I guess if it's a house show in reality, like it's not a bad thing to get to see at a house show. But I'm with you. I'm I'm thinking it was probably just part of this raw taping. We we mm-hmm. could look at Graham site probably and confirm it. Okay. All right, we go back to Walton. Uh, Pillman looks pissed off. He's got a gigantic cast on, just a massive cast. Uh, Kevin says the scene is tense, and he asks Brian about the unprovoked attack that led to this reconstructive ankle surgery. 
Pillman says he's alive and well and has an excellent prognosis for 1997. Uh, uh, he has been, been bitter feuds. There's a fine line between business and life, but Austin made it personal. And now we have a new set of rules. Kevin mentions Austin's on his way, and Vince confirms that Austin is out circling the neighborhood. Yeah, I like the idea he's circling the neighborhood. Like he's not in the neighborhood; <laughs> he's just he's driving around the actual neighborhood, yeah. uh, picking his time to to burst into the neighborhood. Uh, he asks Pillman about his vulnerability. Pillman says Austin's vulnerable too, as his best friend. He knows Austin's strengths and fears better than anyone. Vince asks Pillman if he feels like he's being held hostage, but Pillman says no because Austin is a dead man walking. Because Austin 316 is going to meet Pillman 9 millimeter Glock, and he'll blast his sorry ass straight to hell. Uh, Kevin is not happy with this reveal that there's now a gun in the house, uh, and we hear a voice off screen say Austin's outside as we go to break. Uh, so again, I think this is all well done. It feels very in the moment. Uh, and it feels unhinged when Pillman pulls the gun out. That's a, an iconic line. Austin 316 meets Pillman 9mm Glock. It's a great line. Um, I thought all this was, was perfect. It's our first dose of Pillman on this night. And uh, I think I think it resonated and hit well so far. Yeah, so some kind of table setting for all this. Like, in case you don't know, this is Pillman's legit house. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little like they were in the basement area. Um, they show the actual address of the house. So if, if you will do some research, you can do some Google view <laughs> for what the house looks like now. It looks exactly the same on the outside almost. Uh, you can see uh, there was a Zillow listing when it last sold that had like 15 photos that I looked at. The geography of the house was interesting. If you expand out, it's right next to the interstate, like mm. really close. It's it's kind of interesting. Like it's a residential neighborhood, but it's right next to the uh, highway. Um, but yeah, like um, as far as the promo itself, I thought it was really good. I thought it made Pillman look unhinged. We'll get to the gun. Uh, the gun itself is probably one of the things I do have uh, a little bit of an issue with. Um, I, I feel like I try to be pretty fair on that historically with wrestling angles when it gets to like guns or whatever. I, I think the easiest example is like if you think of Memphis, mm-hmm. a lot of times people think about Eddie Gilbert running over Jerry Lawler with a car. Um, I, I actually, as, as great a bump as Lawler takes when he gets ran over, I, I really hate that show because um, it, it's not, it, it's a great moment, but it, it kind of, really disrupts the i guess the realness of the kind of the uh, show in itself I, right. I just like wrestling in a vacuum so the gun itself i i get it like and it's what about uh, what about puppet with the gun on tna <laughs> well, that's that's the bad i mean at least with this it fits a well i guess puppet fit a psychotic character <laughs> too but but uh, <laughs> At least with this, it's like, all right, it's memorable for somewhat good reasons, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it's, I mean, it, I don't know. I, whether it is or not, that's just something I'm a little nitpicky with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the promo itself I thought was really good. It feels believable here because it's Pillman at his house, you know, like. Yeah. I get it. I mean, it should. I, I think there's very few circumstances where it would be like, okay, like. You know, on that on that nitro you mentioned, if Arn pulls out the Glock on the Outsiders, that probably feels forced, right? But because of the setting and the way this is unfolded, Pillman's in a cast. He can't move. He's got his wife. He's in his house. You can see why maybe he'd have a gun, right? Like I don't know. It it, it plays like okay to me on that regard. It's it's another thing in retrospect too, but knowing like uh, 
Pillman's political leanings. Like, I mean, it's certainly believable he would stand his ground with a gun for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's legit response probably if this happened. Um, so doubling back quick to that Taker interview, Gramda says the interview appears to have taken place at the same raw taping. So yeah. He must have noticed the same thing. Okay. I, I tried to do some clothes check, but <laughs> did honestly didn't care that much. I just noticed the raw letter. Yeah. All right, let's uh, get to the uh, karate. F- yes. Yeah. So this this is this is an all time like transition on the network. If you don't have ads, where you go from Pillman taking out the millimeter <laughs> <Yep>. gun and <laughs> Kevin freaking out. To, it's time for the holiday tournament. <laughs> karate fighters. fighters. <laughs> it was a great transition. It's uh, <laughs> good lord. I love Kevin's panic. Uh, oh, he. Wets himself like your son when he sees that gun. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do have a Karate Fighters tournament matchup this week. It is Sid taking on Marlena in the first round. Todd picks Sid. Uh, we get comments from Marlena, then the actual <laughs> match. Uh, Carve Albert calls the action as usual. Uh, Sid wins, uh, and we'll move on to the semis, and Todd picks him to be the favorite. <laughs> the tournament. So we'll see how he moves on the second round. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I kind of ranted all this, and mm-hmm. I think it's a little weird to have your number one contender in this corny tournament. Um, Again, I think versus... that it shows that it wasn't the plan. That's yeah, thought. yeah, no, there's actually a little bit of that on the Observer. We can get okay. to on the face to face, but um, Sid versus Marlene is such a bizarre matchup. Marlena asking for a reshoot. <laughs> it's live, pal, kind of moment, actually. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, not much there. Uh, all right, we cut back to Walton. Austin mm-hmm. is fighting off two of Pillman's friends. He's just kicking the shit out of them. Uh, he puts one uh, in a, he puts on uh, into a kiddie pool. He's drowning him in the kiddie pool. Smashes another with a trash can. Uh, the kiddie pool guy comes back, he eats the trash can, then he gets thrown into the garage door. The other guy gets his head jammed in the door. Austin then breaks a piece of the pool off and smashes it on the first guy, slams a wagon on him. That looked like it hurt. Uh, Austin shit talks them as he walks to the front door. He's barking for Pillman. Uh, Vince is yelling. It's a publicity stunt as Austin stalks around the house trying to find a way in. Uh, as a fan of backyard wrestling, public access wrestling at this time of my life, like this was amazing to see a mud at raw Steve Austin kicking the shit out of two fat dudes in someone's lawn uh, was just tremendous uh, content for me. And they take some pretty nasty bumps like that wagon. He really drilled that on that guy. Yeah. And uh, the pool piece, too. Like that guy looks like it really hurt him. <laughs> the little piece of plastic off the pool. Well, pool water is like disgusting, too. Yeah. Um, I, I thought this was weird. I'm going to quote Dave again. This is on the uh, 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 November 11th. Said Austin showed up and was met at the front of the house by two of Pillman's friends, two students from Les Thatcher's wrestling school. Okay, I was going to ask who they were. Yeah. Yep. And in the one really lame scene, Austin had a bad fight scene with the two of them, slamming one into the car and throwing the other into the algae infested kiddie pool. So, <laughs> Dave was not a fan of the brawl. Um, I like wow. it. <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah, the wagon shot looked really good. Austin it was vicious. Potatoing yeah. them. So. Yeah, he really kicked it. I was them. good with it. It was so well done because nobody else could have taken like he probably would have been a little more protective if it was other workers. So it was good to have these two fucking kids out there. Yeah, these jobbers. Yeah. yeah I, I didn't recognize either of them, so I don't think either of them really amounted to anything as far They're as I know. Out. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, you talk about crazy transitions. We go back to the ring oh. for our next match, which is Alex the Pug Porto waiting in the ring uh, for the Sultan. He's led out by Bob Backlund and Iron Sheik. Uh, Vince and King are shook from what we just saw. And as they're like trying to compartmentalize what's going on, Bob Backlund is ranting uh, in the ring about Sultan taking us to the 21st century as champion. He's going to put respectability back into our lives. Iron Sheik is on the prayer rug. Sultan's standing over him. Uh, we're just doing everything we possibly can instead of this match. King says Pillman will do anything to protect his family, but Austin doesn't care about that. The pug tries to stick and move, but Sultan trips him up, flips him around, hits a belly to belly. The King is very concerned about the gun. He wants to get away to warn Austin. How can we get word to Austin about the gun? Sultan hits a back suplex into a side headlock as we move along. The commentary is 100% Pillman and Austin. Sultan finishes with the camel clutch. Uh, again, who cares? I went a half a star. It's interesting to me, too. This is like the first time we didn't really get backlend on commentary. I think they just didn't want to even take a minute away from Austin and Pillman on this. Um, so he's pretty much just doing his own thing. Uh, usually he's, you know, he's the focal <laughs> point of every Sultan match generally, yeah. uh, but not not tonight. Yeah, back when I was yelling about building a new bridge, I, I don't, I don't <laughs> have no idea what that was about. Uh, King, I thought was really good here on commentary. Yeah. So he asked if Pillman had a gun. Vince confirms that King is very sovereignly saying, like, oh, that's no good. Like, <laughs> right, right. Breaking character, kind of. Um, match itself. I mean, really nothing. Uh, half a star for me, too. Sultan sucks <laughs> i mean it's you can say it's entertaining with back when yelling but right he's entertaining but salted is i mean already washed like he's i mean a- and back and back when is so whacked out that it's it's entertaining but again it's one of those it's like it's it's entertaining but i i don't know i don't know if there's another it's almost like the opposite of the sunny effect where she had such right. sex appeal she overshadows wrestler like back when so crazed nut job like he overshadows the wrestler too i don't know what role would be better unless he was just like guest commentator but even then like he's not gonna like get over the ankles they probably want to he's just gonna be rambling about his own stuff which it would have been almost better it's just like an unhinged madman that interrupts the show every week yeah i mean they it feels like they sort of had that when he was campaigning i don't i don't know he's he's all over the place so well, I'll take it. It's better than Sultan Mattress. <laughs> yeah. uh, we go back to Walton. Kevin, poor Kevin, is panicking. He says yeah. Austin's making his way around the house. Pillman's got the pistol. Uh, no idea what's going on. Austin breaks through the kitchen door window. It looks like a kitchen, but like you said, it's in the basement. So I don't know if they have like a little pantry down there or something. Yeah, uh, like they have the fridge right next to the door, but it's also like in the living room. Like, I mean, this must be like, a, like you said, it's like a, a rompous room in the basement. Or something. I, I believe this is a basement. I mean, it looks pretty dingy. We must say like it does have some right. like Pillman's jerseys and uh, collection pieces like in the background behind Pillman. But right. it must yeah. be like a man cave with a little kitchenette or something. I, I think so. Uh, all right. So Austin breaks through the, the window with a crowbar. Opens the door. Melanie's screaming. Mm-hmm. Austin barges in. He marches to the living room. Pillman points the gun. Melanie's screaming some more. Uh, and the video cuts out. So that's where we leave it for now. Pillman had the gun out. Austin's coming in the house. Uh, Austin does a great double back when he sees the gun. <laughs> he, like, he starts to walk in and then he backs off. Um, and so that was well done. So again, I, th- I think they're it's still clicking. Like it's still hitting. This is all executed very well. Uh Seemed pretty easy to break into Pillman's house. <laughs> okay. Austin just slams the window. 
like, it had a very Home Alone vibe in the basement there when he smacked. Yeah, it did. It definitely did. Crowbars up. Um, uh, King yelling for somebody to call the police was good. Melanie screaming was good. Uh, really, Molly could play here, and I know why they did it. Um, but I, I think this is just a, a, a ramification of what's happened to them before. But it's something we talked about, and I, I did not realize this happened that much. But again, this is another like quote unquote kayfabe technical snafu that WWF has. So, like, why does this keep happening where the mm-hmm. fee gets cut? audio problems like again like it's it, it happens way too much right well um, and it maybe it takes away from it because like this one's a believable one right like this coming in on the ground with the satellite yeah. well you they know? do explain it later too yeah so yeah no they explain yeah. it but it's like this is the eighth time this has happened so between the audio and right i would agree it's almost Ross's it's too microphone much. not working it's like all right guys like it's like what clown show are y'all running here um I don't know. It just makes them look a little incompetent. But, I mean, they obviously cut it. Like, I would like it if it was this was, like, one-off after Beware of Dog, um, right. which was legit. But Yeah, that, it's, too, it's too often, to your point. It's just too yep, often. That's just a minor nitpick. All right. Uh, so, we go back. We come back from break. The satellite's still down. JR's in the ring uh, for our big face-to-face. Vince says Ross has no idea what's going on out in Cincinnati. Uh, they'll cut away as soon as the feed comes back. Sid is out, and then Sean, Michaels, and Jose Lothario are out, but the focus, again, is in Walton. Jerry reminds us that Sid and Michaels will challenge British Bulldog and Owen Hart next week, but Survivor Series is looming large. Jerry reminds us of Sid attacking Sean last April. He asked Sean if he forgave Sid, and Sean says yes, he's made it very clear he's forgiven Sid. Sid went to the loony bin. He brought Sid back to the WWF because they're buddies. Ross asks Sid if that if he's okay with Sean calling him crazy. Sid yells and says, that is bullshit. And he says he's stupid if he thinks he was actually in a loony bin. Sean says, Sid knows the truth about where he was and who he can thank for being back. And he won't be the first or the last. Sid says last week's incident was a mistake. He calls J.R. Fatso. And Sean agrees it was a mistake. Sid apologizes that they understand the relationship. And it was done. Vince cuts in and says the feed is back. And it says, nope, it's still down. Sean says the Survivor Series, Sid will go down. He beat him once, and he'll do it again. JR asks Sid if he's the favorite due to his size, and JR said, uh, Sid says even Jimmy the Greek would agree. Due to his size and ability, he's the favorite. Sean says Sid's ability will always be his downfall, whether he likes it or not. He's not in Sean's league. Sid says this is a little league, and he is the man. Sean says to be the man, you got to beat the man, and he'll knock Sid down again. Sid calls him little man and guarantees the title change. They knock down the podium. Sid tells Jose to get out of his way. And Sean says to try and push the WF champion, not the old man. Sid shoves Sean and they get into it. But Cornette interrupts. He marches to the ring. He's got Vader, Bulldog, and Owen with him and Clarence Mason. Cornette says Sid cheated Vader out of a title shot and Sean can't beat him. Sid and Sean go back uh, back to back and fight off the camp. Owen cracks Sid with a chair. And then Sean grabs the chair and Sid sees him with it. Assumes Sean smacked him. Uh, Camp Cornette comes in again, but they get wiped out, and that's that. Uh, pretty good segment. I thought Sid was awesome. He's ready and primed. Uh, Sean was good needling him and staying calm, trying to just prod Sid into making a mistake. I thought the brawl was good, too, with Cornette stirring the shit. It sets up next week and Survivor Series. So it was probably the only other thing on the show with any kind of juice to it, besides, you know, not it didn't get dominated by what we saw in Walton. So, like, that's pretty good, at least. But, um, you know, other than that, I think they did a good job putting the heat on the title match. 
I, I I didn't like this actually. I I, I don't know. I I, I uh, am weary of the wrath of Aaron, but I thought Sid was lame uh, in this. Like he called little man, just seemed very like scattered and uh, unfocused. I thought Sean was very unlikable as well, like cocky. Uh, Jose is always a problem. Kind <laughs> of he's, he's old and. Lane just uh, by proxy, and he does kind of get in Sid's face, so it, it feels a little like Don Zimmerus, like sticking his nose in. It's like, come on, dude. So, so overall, I, I mean, I thought if anything, this actually accentuated how good Austin Hart is because I, I did not enjoy this very much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just didn't really click. Didn't get much heat. The, the overall like inadvertent back elbow was actually pretty interesting and when we're watching the show like because i watched the show the the night after there was the uh pete alonzo elbow <laughs> in the back yeah. that was like almost exact like i would love a side by side of that of, uh, uh because they were almost exactly the same motion um I, I don't know I, I don't really think that has much heat another thing i thought Cornette and mason were done with each other are they uh, back on good terms? What is that? Well, they kind of are, but I think, yeah, I guess they're semi-aligned. I don't know, because <clears throat> Cornette's still with Vader. Vader's pissed up at Sid. I think it was supposed to play up that way. Like, Vader was out there for Sid, and Bulldog and Owen and Mason were out there for Sean and Sid. I, I don't know, but, yeah, it's okay. just, I think I guess they're loosely related still. But So, I mean, so Observer says it was originally supposed to be Vader versus yeah uh sean yep um you know vader got hurt at some point went to sid before buried alive and then the rest is history but that was the original plan like did they say anything about dylan like is that part of it at all that's a rumor um dave basically says like if that's the reason that's a really dumb reason right uh but I mean, he acknowledges it's possible that Dylan went to WCW and could have disclosed that. Right. But I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that, you know, Camp Cornette running out here, it's it's one of those things. It's like, I mean, not, uh, <laughs> I'm done with it. Um, I know we're setting up a tag match the next week, mm-hmm. but I, I, was, I was interested to see this Sid and Sean build and it overall I, i've always been a fan of the match but like i mentioned at the beginning i, I wasn't watching weekly at this point and i i just haven't been very enthralled with it so far so we'll see they have one more week uh, the bill's definitely been tepid like i don't think you're wrong like i, I think they're banking a lot of it on their former you know friends that sid's been pretty over yeah like they definitely <laughs> have know, history shot and this this is a prevailing problem with Sean's title wearing. I think I think this is another one where, like, again, it's easy in retrospect to kind of look at his resume at pay-per-view matches. And even if you're high on the Owen match, like with us, I, I, I think kind of collectively as a podcast, we're, we're kind of net even because I think we're lower on the Owen in your house six match, but we're higher on the Iron Man match now. Mm-hmm. Consensus. So it kind of evens out. But, I mean... Sean certainly had some uh, very good, great match of the year candidate matches on pay-per-view, but 
between the programs themselves and the week and we it's I, I just wouldn't call it a very strong title reign. I, it, it really yeah. kind of signifies that he just I mean he's not like I don't I don't find him as likable here like he's you know saying Sid owes everything to him and he's he's kind of wearing like this well I think clothes. by this point it, it feels like they're playing him up as a haggard champion that's yeah almost like sick of everything like that's what it feels like like he's just done um it feels like that's the approach they've taken here in the final weeks is like he's sick of being in question he's sick of dealing with bullshit like he's he's been going non-stop really since january when he came back at the rumble like so that's the vibe i get is that he's just he's kind of cooked he's kind of out of gas and it actually plays into i think the vibe that we get in msg that feels very rocky three to me um Mm -hmm. go through it right where the champions kind of just run ragged and almost you know the the wrestling is almost second at this point to all the other commitments that's what it feels like the vibe so i don't we'll get there yeah. but yeah good well just like in the build that we've seen and knowing what the crowd reaction is like in msg it's it's definitely a shift in my thought process on you know, oh, that's just New York kind of being a raunchy crowd and wanting to cheer for the quote-unquote heel to, you know, the way this feud is kind of being presented, like, they feel sort of justified, like, backing Sid. So, it's changed my mindset a little bit. Yep. And, I mean, I don't think you're wrong on the Sean feuds, too. Like, the most compelling, I mean, was probably Diesel, right, out of the gate, was really good. Um, I thought Vader, they did a pretty good job heating vader up for that match between international incident and SummerSlam, the bullock stuff was kind of hit or miss the mankind stuff was non-existent <laughs> like that's been yep. um so sean has felt very second fiddle since SummerSlam. honestly uh he had the great yeah. match of my games but beyond that he has not really been focused on like taker mankind were really the fall focused and then austin has been heated up so um yeah it's interesting Mm-hmm. Are we going to add for Full Metal the album? And then uh, Vince walks us through what we've seen so far from Pillman's house and says the authorities have been contacted and we'll go back when the feed is live. Uh, we then head back to the ring for our next match, and that is Mark Merrow taking on Razor Ramon. That's what we needed here tonight. Uh, yeah. Merrow's out with Sable for our main event as we get a plug for the classic Sunny Raw magazine issue. King blames Pillman for being in his house and chastises Vince for sending cameras there and calling Austin's bluff. Ramon and Diesel saunter out somehow. They're still here in big matches. They're second taping. Jim Ross joins the booth. He says he's not intimidated to ask the tough questions for the fans. He says no one told him about Cincinnati. He said he talked to Austin yesterday and he knew this would happen, but no one bothered to ask him for his thoughts. He says Austin is obsessed with Bret Hart, and that's what's leading to all this. Ramon shoves Mero but uh, around, but Mero brings some strikes. Vince talks about the perfect hoax that we saw uh vince says the tech crew is on a cell phone kerwin silfies is with us the director he <laughs> yeah. updates vince from the satellite truck down the road uh Silfie says he's not sure what's up but everything's dead the power is totally dark the whole neighborhood uh for the, or for them is out but the rest of the neighborhood has lights austin's car is still in the driveway you heard some explosions they could have been gunshots kerwin says his guys are working on the feed but they won't, won't go near the house because they're spooked about what's going on vince pushes them to get out there and fix it and thanks him for all his hard work Mero works the arm. Ross says the crew better stay safe. Vince calls Razor JR's Razor Ramon and King mocks it as we go to break. Vince says they have Kerwin back on the phone as we return as Mero hits a top rope axe handle. 
Kerwin says the house is still dark and no one's come out. Vince demands to know where the authorities are. Vince says there's no signs of the authorities yet. They're out in the sticks. Although, according to you, that's not true. Yeah, that definitely way. not. <laughs> Vince, asked, Cincinnati. Vince asks that the feed will come back, and Kerwin says unlikely at this point. Kerwin yells, hey, and then kind of drifts away as we lose contact. Razor works the arm and chokes away as JR tells Vince to feel bad about this. And he had to know this would happen. It'd be good for his TV ratings, but whatever happens to the Pillman family will be on Vince's shoulders. Vince defends himself, says there's no time for this. JR taking popular stands and gives him crap. King says, let's just call the match. JR says, that would be different. Vince says, not to get smart or wise. King tries to call the match, but Vince lays into Ross. Ross says Vince is the head muckety-muck, and he knew what would happen of this. Mero makes a comeback. This has been a snoozer. JR says Diesel's a ringside. He hasn't been mentioned. Mero hits a top rope dropkick, gets two with a top rope Rana. Vince heights Mr. Perfect being on live wire this weekend. Perfect and Hunter come out as we go to break. We get an ad for the Big Bamboom Tour at uh, St. John's, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, Buffalo, Milwaukee, Cleveland, and then New York City for Survivor Series is the capper. After the break, Mero hits a Samoan drop. Perfect ties up the ref, and Hunter shoves Mero off the rope. Ramon hits the razor's edge and wins the match clean. What a disaster for this. Yeah. I don't know why Mark <laughs> Mero is losing clean to Razor Ramon. <laughs> JR's pumped. Uh, yeah. Whatever. The match is trash. It's just backdrop to, the, to what's going on. Uh, at the Pillman house. Merrill was okay, but God, he feels completely lost. Razor added nothing. He gets a win that wasn't needed. It's amazing to me that they're still around and getting any kind of push at this point. Uh, I know these tapings are again set up and they were still kind of a thing coming off Barrett alive, but this feels, this feels like a big misstep. Uh, Merrill is your mm-hmm. top. I see a guy right now still feuding with Hunter. We're fresh off that title change just a couple weeks. Like why, why is he losing here? clean to Ramon uh, pretty much. So anyway, I mean, not fully clean, but still, I mean, Hunter didn't do that much to him to cause. Yeah. Uh, I went star in three quarter. Again, the match is nothing. It's all about the moment, but still give us something. At least that's entertaining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Start half, but actually, as I think about it, that may be uh, generous. Uh, it, this is a bad match for sure. Um, it, it's kind of mostly again about Kerwin's call, but um, I mean, Mero should be presented that way. I, I, I thought this was a step back, certainly for Razor and Diesel and Ross overall. Like, Ross had kind of, you know, like him in the ring being mm-hmm. the moderator for the Sid Sean stuff, I thought was fine way to handle him. Uh, this, this seemed like them regressing back to how he was uh, between mind games and um, Buried Alive, where He's defending these guys. He's mm-hmm. completely cranky and railing so hard against Vince on commentary. Yeah, uh, he does that in that live wire segment too, by the way. So, so I, I just thought we were kind of beyond this. It was not something, uh, not a welcome return for me. Uh, Razor, I thought, even beyond the the uh, faux pas of the booking, I thought Razor looked pretty bad. Uh, execution-wise, abdominal stretch was weak. His clotheslines were weak. Um, the uh, razor's edge looks good to end it, but that's about it. Uh, a couple of things just on the call with um, with the uh, with uh, with Kerwin. He uh, uh, him saying that it's explosions, but he's not sure if it's gunshots. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what else would it be? Like, maybe, Transformer Blue, I guess, maybe. Yeah, they were trying to say something right. like that. Yeah, right. a, lot of, a lot of explosions. I can't, I can't <laughs> say I've had many 
I haven't used that verbiage many times around my house. Explosions. Happen. Well, not for a gunshot. I mean, I've never heard of a gunshot. Besides Kevin, I've never heard of a gunshot. Yeah, they call it explosion. It's kind of weird how they did that. Uh, he, he's very somber, saying restoring the picture isn't very likely. And, and uh, King's like, you know, get your butt out there and get working <laughs> on it and all this stuff, you know. Whatever. Uh, he, yeah, him saying they're in the sticks completely false like they're 10 minutes from cincinnati uh vince being completely dismayed that the authorities haven't arrived on mm-hmm. the scene yet which i mean obviously that isn't a great look for them because Kurt right. says he called the police it's been 20 minutes and <laughs> they ain't got it together yet but um yeah i mean uh, interesting I, I guess he's a one-off character right like i don't know if we want to throw him in on the debuts but Kerwin, uh, yeah he might pop up here or there who knows i, I don't i don't recall Kerwin again but an interesting uh an interesting kind of one-off person for this uh angle i think he used to pop up on like old costume yeah. home videos and stuff sometimes oh. he'd be on like this in the studio um <laughs> they'd yes. go to like the uh, the control center and everything but yeah, yeah. the uh yeah, I, I mean, I thought they did a good job, too, of, like, teasing that this could be it for the night. Yeah. Um, with that, like, we don't think we'll get it back in time, and that's that. Like, this well, we that talk- was a believable cliffhanger. Like, Pillman points the gun, Austin comes in the house, and we never go back. And then we find out on Superstars that authorities did show up, but Austin was taken away, and they were fine. Right? Like, it's it wouldn't have been surprising if that was it. Well, we talk about the ratings dropping. Do you think that made people turn Ooh. off? Yeah, I mean that combined with this match. Yeah, like this, this match, match is terrible. Thing helped either. I mean, I, as as much of as a non-main event match it is, like this match on the screen compared to Benoit and Hector, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about, pretty stark contrast. Like, pretty big difference just in ring. Yeah, I mean, like if this is the match, we saw the satellite feed cut out, and now we're told like four or five times that we're not, not looking back. Yeah. yeah, I could see people dipping out, being like, all right, well, we're done. Um, which was a mistake. Maybe Kerwin should have said, you know, hey, we're actually close. Like, stand. like it's actually a very unvinced thing. I'm surprised they didn't tease it harder and say, we're close to fixing it. Hang on. Like, we could just do one more thing versus, oh, I don't think it's going to happen. No, that's a very unvinced, like, move there. Let me, uh, yeah, get to our ending angle and then okay. I want to read this from the observers. It's pretty funny in retrospect right. again. Vince says Ross doesn't want the feedback. Uh, we get the footage from earlier again. King says the gun is stupid. Austin's stupid. Vince says we have the feedback live. We cut to Pillman being shoved back by a group of friends. God, one of these guys has just the most amazing mullet. Um, <laughs> and it's such a gaudy University of Kentucky sweatshirt on. That's set yeah. out of my mind forever. Uh, but that mullet is, is beautiful. Uh, Vince and King asked Kevin if shots were fired. And King, poor Kevin. No one is, no one is shot or struck by any of the explosions. Vince asks where Austin is, and Kevin says he saw the gun and he left. And then he yells, oh, my God, he's back. Austin storms in. He gets pushed back by more friends. Pillman yells to let him go because he wants to kill him. King tells Kevin to get the gun, which is my favorite line (laughs) of the whole night. Get the gun, Kevin. Like, what's Kevin going to do? Melanie's crying. Kevin yells for someone to call the police. Pillman says to shut up and let Austin go, and we fade out on this amazing, chaotic scene. Just, again, they crush this final scene. Um, when Scott and I had Kevin on a uh, place to be podcast, the first time we ever talked to him was talking about this episode of raw way back in 2012. And, uh, I remember just like, be like, what, why, <laughs> why would you say explosions? Uh, but it's just such a crazy line. Like no one was struck by any of the explosions. 
Um, so he basically admits that someone fired the gun, I guess, right? That's what he's saying. Is no one was hit by the bullet. Right. He was yeah. trying to say. Uh, but he nails the, oh, my God, he's back line. King telling him to get the gun is great. Just why why him? Why, you know, of all people. Get the gun, Kevin. Get the gun, Kevin. Uh, I, I thought this was a great close. I did a really good job. I'm glad we get to see more of it. Uh, I'm glad they didn't end with the other segments. But, again, they leave it a little ambiguous, at least. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Uh, apparently, like, it's edited on the network. Uh, apparently aired live on the... Um, so, so yeah, a lot of moving parts here. So, apparently it aired live on the West Coast feed, but Pillman says fuck in this. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, that. I'd have to look at my tape. Yeah. My tape, I probably have it, but maybe. Uh, so that's, I think, actually the biggest concern and complaint the USA had. Um, it came out like USA was aware of this, but it's one of those things where, like, if people start to complain, then they kind of save face, right? And they do the whole PR thing. So there's that. I, I mean, as an ending angle, I thought it, it was. It was, again, well done. Chaotic. Do you want to try to guess what episode number you had Kevin on? Uh, um, let's see. I know it's 2012. I'm going to say 142. Are you shitting me? Is that right? Yeah, 142. That was just a complete guess. Oh, wow. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, I did not look it up. That was a cool guess. Yeah, 142. Jeez. I think July, maybe, 2012. Let's go play the fucking lottery after pulling that Yeah. (laughs) We've had a lot of uh, quasi-sports scandals. This is another one. (laughs) The the wrestling podcast scandal that's shaking Twitter. Um, (laughs) So here's here's Dave, kind of his final wrap-up. Was it a good angle? Did it go too far? Was it offensive? It's a good angle if it works. Pillman and Austin's acting in the angle was good. Other aspects, in particular, Austin beating up the two jobbers was a little corny. Being the talk of wrestling, which it was for one day, could be a good sign. But if it doesn't translate to increased ratings or money, it still doesn't make it successful. I'm beginning to fear we're entering a wrestling environment filled with angles that have a one-day shelf life, which means by Wednesday everybody has forgotten about them long before they really amount to anything. Next week's ratings across the board will be an indication if this angle had legs. Too far? It's new ground. Dangerous ground in that they created the environment, and WCW has as well, or absolutely nothing that goes on in the ring matters anymore. The outside ring storyline is everything, and action in the ring is meaningless. WCW had a tremendous match going on at roughly the same time with Chris Benoit versus Hector Guerrero, and the live audience in Grand Rapids, Michigan, had their backs to the ring and were looking at the NWO guys instead of watching two great wrestlers work their ass off. Was it offensive? Not to me. Maybe to others. It's no different than any other violent television show. Uh, and then we'll get to, he says, the only offensive thing on wrestling that night to me was the racist stereotype of Sonny Ono. So, so again, like, I, I thought that's fairly poignant as you're going to get from Meltzer um you know not exactly known to be a wordsmith but I, I think it makes sense it is interesting him talking about the short shelf life of wrestling angles and stuff and and certainly like in the churn of everything this kind of felt forgotten but again I think in retrospect with how big Austin becomes and kind of the legacy of Austin overall it, it lives on in that regard mm-hmm. yeah I, I would go. say he's there's a lot of right 
in what he said right there. Um, I would say the only thing that's wrong is that it doesn't need to equal ratings and financial success to be, like you said, like a memorable all-time angle. Like, this is something that is very much remembered, very much discussed, well-known, still hits, still resonates, and we know it didn't really do much rating-wise. Right. Um, so I'd say there's, there's a little divergence there, but the rest is pretty pretty spot-on overall. And uh, before we kind of go our end of show awards, mm-hmm. Uh, do you recall if we see Perfect any next week? I think we... I feel like we do see him okay. one last time. Okay, we can talk about his deal there, too, because that's also a big, big thing going on around this right. week. So. I know he's referenced at Survivor week. Series, but he's not on. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's definitely not on Survivor Series, because he was supposed to be on... The live wire uh, the night before Survivor Series, and that's when he'd already given his notice and whatnot. So we can get to that. Uh, hang on, let me look real quick. If yeah, no, I don't. Actually, this was it. I think. Okay, right, he's well, talked about a Survivor Series, now. but okay. Okay, so basically. Uh, Again, from the Observer, like I said, loaded, loaded a couple of episodes. It appears Kurt Henning may be the latest wrestler to switch affiliations from WWF to WCW. Henning met with Eric Bischoff late this past week. That had been like the week of November 12th, probably like November 10th, 11th, 12th, around that time. Yeah, uh, He met with Eric Bischoff late this past week, and the two sides apparently reached a verbal agreement on a deal where Henning will return as an active wrestler. However, Titan Sports is contesting the agreement, claiming in a legal letter from Jerry McDevitt to WCW that WCW was interfering with Titan's contracts. In the letter, Titan was under the assumption that Henning would make a surprise appearance on the 11-11 Nitro show and warned WCW that it would take legal action if such was the case, uh, which could be kind of a Rick Rude situation if that would have happened, right? Um, in any event, Henning would not be able to use the name Mr. Perfect. So that name is a WWF creation. WCW is believed to not be planning on using Henning so quickly due to his WWF contract. Was his expected starting date with WCW being early February. McDevitt declined to state how long Henning was under contract, just that the contract was valid and there was no provision in it to give 90 days notice at this time. Henning didn't appear as scheduled guest on Livewire Saturday. That would have been uh, the uh, November 9th Livewire, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the excuse they or yeah, and the excuse they gave that he wasn't there because of a problem with planes landing in New York that morning could have been more accurate as far as there being weather problems that morning. Or he was not as a color commentary on Superstars on Sunday. The latter may be a sign that he gave word to Titan and they pulled him from the show. But certainly the letter from Titan shows the company was aware of Henning's meeting. Henning on Monday was still being advertised as part of the Survivor Series in a managerial role. That's the November 11th. Right. Uh, Raw. So, yeah. So there we go. Uh, After his big kind of comeback, quote unquote, to the ring. Um, uh, And and then we, you know, we talked about like speculation on whether they thought he was coming back. He didn't want to break his contract or whatnot. I mean, even Dave doesn't seem to know. He says here whether Henning was ever considering returning and the recent angle with Mark Merrow and her Hurst Hemsley depends upon who one believes. Talking of returning as an active wrestler is also surprising since in a recent newspaper interview, he 
talked about not wanting to go back to the ring because he didn't want to aggravate injuries to the point he wouldn't be able to enjoy his life after wrestling and is believed to be in great financial shape. So hmm. there we go. It's uh, it's a uh, it's a weird weird angle, but uh, somebody that was given a lot of uh, promotion from really mind games up to this yeah. point is two now months gone. hot and heavy. Yep. And he, uh, he doesn't show up in WCW till July, right? So uh, yeah, June, July, around that time. Yep. So he's he's done for a while. So yeah, gone for a while. Yeah. So it was definitely surprising at the time, like when he just vanished, because you just assume during this period he'd show up on Nitro, and when he didn't, it was kind of like, all right, you know what I mean? Like he's not there, and they were pushing him hard, and now he's gone already. Like so, what's going on? So obviously. AOL was in his rudimentary form, so you were seeing some stuff here and there, but nothing serious. Uh, so, kind of getting into whether USA was annoyed or whatever, uh, Dave has some more on the follow-up for this. This is when they replay it on, like, the syndication. Mm-hmm. It says, the gun itself was digitized out in the replay showing on USA, but not in syndication. There were mentions in the angle replays of the gun existing, and even in digitized form, there was no question Pillman was cocking a gun. The swearing was bleep, but then again, this is Saturday and Sunday morning television. One can't discount the fact that no aspect of the angle, including the swearing, was edited off the replay version of Raw that aired three hours later on the West Coast feed. If USA was truly appalled, would that have been the case? Uh, and then, you know, as you talked about on three-way dance, this actually happens around the same time. The comparisons with ECW's handling of an angle one week earlier where Raven crucified Sandman on the cross, then apologized mm-hmm. for most accounts largely because Card Angle against the WCW was furious of it being part of the show that included something like that are most interesting. The ECW angle was never replayed or, for that matter, even acknowledged or mentioned on television at any time. I don't, I don't know if that was the case. It was. Uh, I mean, they didn't. None of the TV we watched ever talked about. Never mentioned it. Okay. Nope. nope. Uh, so he said, "This is not to say anyone should or shouldn't apologize for any of those angles went over the invisible line, but saying that at least within the work aspect of pro wrestling, ECW handled being sorry as one would handle being sorry, whether or not one chooses to question the true sincerity and motivations behind these decisions. WWF handled it as a company trying to use a controversy to make the angle stronger." than it would have on its own. So right. there we go. Lot lot going on. It's a very, very uh, interesting raw. It, it's really a moment in time raw. Yeah, and I feel like we keep talking about this like almost the unofficial start of the attitude era, the unofficial start of the WF's resurgence that's gonna come. And it's kind of like the real kickoff to me of the Monday Night Wars. Like yeah, it's been going for a year, but it wasn't until really like Raw starts to go live and you get more of the anything can happen vibe. And you can just see it in the news and notes here. Like every, there's so much going on already. And this is a commonplace thing for the next like four years, five years. So to me, this is really where like it lights off is at this time period. Yeah, I, th- I think this is a cool indication that after uh, King of the Ring, like, all right, like he he did a cool promo you know Mm -hmm. again it was in the in the report but you know this is a story that dominates two weeks of the observer it was in the wrestling you know smart community vernacular uh that churned for a while so it held interest for sure 
All right, let's get to our awards uh, so we can get over to Nitro. Uh, match of the night, I guess. I went Mero Ramon, but I yeah, mean, it was all it's, junk. It's, it's it's a really stupid match of the night, but I guess that's it. I, I almost want to say Stalker versus Goldust, but that sucked too. This yeah. has to be, we'd have to look back at grades. This has to be our worst match of the night, right? I think so. I mean, like I said, like if it wasn't this angle, like if they, and mm-hmm. who knows if they had this angle completely mapped out. But if they didn't and they just tagged on like a even a decent pull apart raw brawl or something like that, like to me this 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 grading on this raw is oh, yeah. gonna be low. Like four right. four point you know, low. And that's including a good brawl. Like if yeah. there was nothing between Austin and Hart on this show, like this could have been one of the worst brawls we've seen in my opinion. Yeah, the matches were not just not good <laughs> at yep. all. Uh, the moment, you know, it would have been lazy to say, like, all of it, but I tried to pinpoint one. I went with, with when Austin comes into the house. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like him beating up the guys was probably my favorite part, but I think the best moment is when he steps in, Pillman points the gun, and he backs off, and they cut the feed. Like, that. I think that was the key moment of the whole thing. I uh, put that as well. It was uh, invasion of the house itself. All right, MVP, I mean, it's you can't, like, pick one. So I went Austin Pillman, <laughs> and I gave it to Kevin, the three of them. Like, mm. Kevin was awesome in this. I don't think it resonates as well if he's not on scene, right? If it's just, like, Pillman at home and we're just there with him with the camera. Mm-hmm. I think Kevin being, like, the frantic reporter trapped in the in the crazy scene uh, really added to the vibe. So I, I thought he deserved to share the honors with the other two. Okay. I, I just went with Austin. I, I thought the everybody was good, but um, I mean he's the man. So, yeah, I don't think Kevin will ever touch MVP stats again. So, <laughs> like deserves a shout out. Maybe with one of his promos or rock, he can do a shared. It's possible. <laughs> uh, shots fired. There were no shots fired. We hear no one is struck by any of the explosions. No, no explosions. Yeah. Uh, debuts. I noted Myvia, Rocky Myvia. Uh, just okay. on this. Who would have thought on this random raw, right? Well, actually, do we have him? I guess did we count him when he showed up backstage? Um, I don't think I have him actually like listed on the ten twenty one. It would have been right. Yeah, we didn't write him down. Okay. I think this is like his real first. He's just like a background guy. Okay. This is really the first time he's like named and doing stuff. Uh, Melody Pillman and Kerwin Silfies, we have noted. Yep. Um, so final grade. I, I went nine out of 10. Um, I think it's one of the most memorable, important, insane episodes of raw ever. It was easy to watch. Yeah. The matches suck, but the matches are also engulfed by this angle, which is awesome. So it's not like we leave the angle and then don't talk about it. Like it's like everything right. is compelling throughout the whole night. I didn't mind the Sid Sean stuff, but even that, like you're getting Vince cutting in. Um, and the Pillman Austin stuff is so just so to me, just so on point and so integral in the growth of Austin's character. I mean, I wanted to go 10, but the matches were pretty bad. And um, so I don't think it was a perfect show. Right. But I do think it was close uh, because it's a super compelling hour of TV. Uh, I think you can stack it against any like legendary hour of wrestling television. And it's up there just based on this one angle that all you say is Pillman's got a gun. Pillman gone, Austin gone. Everyone immediately knows what you're talking about and can visualize it. Um, to me, that that means it stands the test of time. Yeah, I am. Uh, oh, I'm so in between on my grade. Uh, I think I'm on. 
cop out and go eight. Um, that ties it with the highest I've ranked any Nitro. Mm-hmm. I think it's a great show, but I think it's like we said, it's it's a great show if you look at it from the prism of the character study, and probably a better show in retrospect than real time. Right. So. Uh, well, I mean, at the time, I loved it. <laughs> so <laughs> I rewatched it a million times. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we'll get to it when we get the full ratings breakdown. But given your age demographic, you're definitely in the um, in the uh, minimum there. So, all right, let's head over to Nitro. What do we got? So Nitro is from Grand Rapids, Michigan tonight. Uh, we get our opening kind of opener and. Uh, of course, Hogan's still in it and face <laughs> paint Sting. We cut to the show. Sting's up in the rafters. Start the show. Uh, kind of still working on his makeup. Mm-hmm. He's not quite there yet. Like, doesn't have the uh, eye, eye shadow running all the way down. But, uh, and then uh, Giant Vincent and DiBiase are also shown, like, coming out of the. Uh, mezzanine area where they've been hanging out each week and uh, giants kind of looking up towards sting um so this is a little bit of a shift for us a bishop's not there tonight so i don't know if this was the reason but uh tony and larry are at the announce booth they're not ringside for the show uh so that's that's a departure for them they have the wcw women's belt at the table we learn eric bishop is in portland oregon and negotiations are underway with piper uh, and then they start, this is, I think, the first time they called it this, but we hear it a million times on this show, and they really hammer it home. Tony says he's trying to sign the match of the decade. That's really the vernacular they go for mm-hmm. uh, on this match, this the match of the get, uh, decade. Uh, Larry, of course, turns this into a political statement where he talks about <laughs> when gasoline was 35 cents a gallon. And uh, people were buying it because they thought it was sparse. And now he's $1.30. There's plenty for everybody, and you don't mind paying. So uh, he equates that to the paranoia and manipulation of the NWO. I thought it was, um, like, super timely to today's world. Um, <laughs> yeah. He sounded like, if you read that, like, on Twitter uh, <laughs> about, like, COVID or something, like, it was, right. like, it sounded, like, right out of that. Like, <laughs> There's a uh, manipulation and paranoia, and the NWO plays it up. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite the prescient comments from uh, Larry. Yeah, Larry was one of the ones that was uh, running out to his gas station when Biden was inaugurated to uh, cut a picture of what the gas prices were <laughs> on on that yeah. day. So it so it can pop up in his Facebook memories. I had to <laughs> had to have a recollection of that. Uh, then we get to our opener. Uh, well, one other thing that. I noticed too is interesting is Larry uh, really goes in on Sting being a lost soul. Yeah, says he looks at the Phantom of the Opera. He's got no soul. He's a lost soul. Uh, just talk about how just, it just seems like he doesn't know where to go, what to do. Like they really play that up. Um, Larry plays that up quite a bit about Sting. So that was like one of the big takeaways for me is how they're positioning Sting as just a guy that looks like a man without without a country, without a friend. Um, and not sure where to go. But yeah, besides that, it was really just the, the paranoia stuff. And uh, he says, it. he says, fear has turned Hogan to a manipulator and an outright liar, which again is true. Like Hogan just spouts lies, doesn't give a shit. And Larry's saying it's based out of fear. Um, right. Spot and his power. So. Uh, so over the American males and 
kind of split. They're in singles action tonight. I split apart. First one is Brad Armstrong versus Marcus Bagwell. Uh, I like that Sting just walked away as soon as Brad Armstrong makes his entrance. <laughs> no interest in um, this. Not, 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 not a fan of that one. Uh, some basic wrestling to start. Bagwell slamming Brad repeatedly. Brad kind of kicking him off. Uh, Bagwell repeatedly in this match does his like overhand clap chant. Um, tries to get that started with the crowd. Bagwell gets head scissors, take over control. Armstrong escapes uh, and uh, transitions that to side headlock. Shoulder breaker takes Brad down. Thought that looked good. Pretty crisp. Uh, that same sequence gets repeated. Brad then locks on a head scissors as we head to our first break. Uh, back from break, tempers really flare up with a slap from Bagwell that he popped Brad with it. Made a, a huge sound on on the uh, on the screen. You could really hear it. Made contact. Armstrong fires back with some nice forearms. A drop kick. Clothesline sends Bagwell to the outside. Bagwell regroups. Gets a slingshot clothesline back into the ring. Uh, Brad goes for a German suplex. Gets a back elbow. And Bagwell then sends him to the outside. Brad does a great bump to the outside off of that. Uh, Bagwell uh, hits a cross body to the floor. Armstrong comes back with a DDT. Bagwell is able to weather the storm, hits another clothesline, and then they do a crisscross, which results in Bagwell hitting a big crossbody. That pops the crowd, and he gets the win. Uh, crowd was really into this. Um, I thought you had some subtle foreshadowing from Bagwell mm-hmm. and where he's heading in the next couple of weeks. It's more accentuated in Riggs' match, but we'll get to that. And uh, overall, I thought this was pretty shockingly good effort from from both, really. I mean, Brad Armstrong, I think we talked about, but I'd say historically, I'm kind of lower on him than some of the Mm -hmm. consensus. I don't necessarily think he's this great lost worker on what I've seen, uh, but he gave good effort here. Everything he did looked crisp and Bagwell looked motivated here, maybe as, uh, again, foreshadowing of what he knew was ahead of him uh, angle-wise. So I went two and three quarters, thought to a pretty good start. Yeah, I liked it as an opener as well. Um, <clears throat> Bagwell's more aggressive, aggravated offense was really good. I thought the uh, dive to the floor, uh, the plancha, where B.A. You know, smashed hard off the ground, looked really good. It was ugly, uh, for sure. And then the finish came out of nowhere, but that was great. Like He really slams into him with that cross-body block. Mm-hmm. That looked really, really sharp. So, yeah, th- I thought the match itself was good. It was hard-hitting. It was aggressive. Um I thought it started a little slow, but then it really got cooking after the slap had a competitive face-to-face feel to it. But Bagwell did feel a little more heelish, a little more angry, wanting to prove a point. Uh, the crowd was into it as well. So a really good start and a cool finish. I went two and three quarters. So I, I definitely dug it. All right. I believe uh, after break, we go right into our next match, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is Diamond Dallas Page versus Ice Train. True. Uh, so the... Yeah, black and orange gear for Paige, some nice red gear for Train here. Again, this is, you know, it's a Teddy Long match, so you know mm-hmm. who the referee is. Nick Patrick, of course, is out there. Uh, they do a lot of foreshadowing here, so that's really kind of the main thing of this match is in the beginning, it looks kind of like Paige and Patrick are whispering with each other. Mm-hmm. Tony talks about how Nick Patrick had the ring, uh, the Battle Bowl ring at Halloween Havoc the whole time. Um, you know, and Larry kind of says, well, it's the referee's job. And Tony's like, well, not to have it the whole time. Like he can have it during the match or whatever. So, so a lot, a lot of foreshadowing here. Uh, Patrick yells at Teddy Long to get into his corner. 
of course, the outsiders are in the crowd with the tag belts. Uh, Ice Train gets the early power advantage. Crowd's very preoccupied with outsiders. We'll talk about it on this show. I think we've been edging up to it, and Meltzer talked about it, too, with the Hector-Benoit match. I do think this is the first Nitro, and this was a hot crowd, but I do think this is really the first Nitro where pretty much every segment there was some NWO like thing going on, or at least the perception was that. Um, so, so of the seven matches that we have tonight, I'll have to keep track, but I think there was underlining at the very least NWO kind of interaction at all points. So they're, they're dominating. Uh, Dallas tries a full Nelson. It's unsuccessful. Uh, Tony says, you know, he's for sure that Dallas would jump to the NWO and thinks it's kind of a done deal at this point. So it's very presumptuous. Uh, shoulder block by Ice Train sends Dallas to the apron. The outsiders then leave. Ice Train gets a back elbow. Uh, Page kind of goes him in, pushes his head over the top rope. Uh, top rope clothesline from Page. He puts the boots to Ice Train. Teddy's asking Patrick to get in there uh, as Page is doing a lot of cheating tactics, uh, tactics, a lot of choking on the ropes and whatnot. Sunset flip from Ice Train gets a one count. Page gets the clothesline for two. Uh, he gets the pancake for another two count. Spinning neck breaker. Train kicks out with Page landing on Patrick. That gets a big pop from the crowd as well. Uh, Page apologizes to Nick Patrick as he's really wincing in pain. Uh, Ice Train fires away. It's a suplex, a leapfrog, and a power slam. That gets two with Tony really questioning the count there. Uh, Ice Train then just kind of splashes down on uh, Page. Patrick takes a second to get down and gets another two count. Big clothesline sends Page to the outside. And then Nick Patrick follows him outside to quote unquote check up on him. While that happens, the outsiders get into the ring, attack Ice Train with the belts. Uh, Nick Patrick has his back to this as this goes on. Teddy Long is over there at ringside yelling at Nick Patrick to turn around. Uh, of course, he misses all this. A very weird moment where Ice Train, like, no-sells the belt shots. Yeah. Like, the, out, the outsiders leave, and then Ice Train just, like, jumps up and starts yelling at them. I, I, I didn't understand that. But um, but Paige is able to come in from behind, hit the diamond cutter for the three count. So, uh, a lot going on here. Again, I, I talked about it last week. I like this angle and what it is with the recruitment of Paige continuing. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides the odd moment with... Ice train getting up. I, I thought that this was a well done match as for what it was. Um, as we talked about as the weeks have went on, I'm kind of over Teddy and Patrick as an angle. Uh, I thought this wasn't as bad as it has been, actually. I don't know. It didn't bother me quite as much. Again, it wasn't real exciting, but you know, I wasn't annoyed. So that's always a plus with these two now. Uh, right, two and a half. Yeah, I liked it quite a bit as well. Uh, again, the whole story of the match, like you, like you talked about a bunch, was really the recruitment of, of Paige. Yeah. They play it up a lot throughout this. Um, Tony, like you said, it's, they're all kind of assuming it's happening. Larry's still on the manipulation. You know, they, they says that they're going to take advantage of Nitro being live because Tony wonders what's going on tonight. They pop in, they pop out. And uh, Larry's basically saying it's my games. Like they're they're doing it on purpose. They're effing with you. You know, they they want you to think they're up to something even when they're not. So they really play that up quite a bit. 
Uh, Larry made me laugh. Called Teddy the grandfather of wrestling instead of the godfather of wrestling, which was pretty funny. <laughs> um, a lot of Hogan and Piper talk here as well, too. Um, Patrick being slow to count makes you again think Paige is in, in cahoots with him and by proxy the NWO. Tony basically says it's all incriminating. Uh, I thought the fun match. I thought it was a fun match. I thought the heat was really good. I thought Ice Train looked like a beast. Him fighting off the outsiders and no sign the attack was weird, like you said, like you said, but led to a good finish and did make him look tough. Even though it made the outsiders look a little weak. Usually they can crush anyone, but Travis Trade bought them off. Uh, DDP selling an offense continued to evolve. I thought he was great feeding into the power set of Train. Uh, the yeah. finish was good, too, um, with the mind games and more Patrick Long beef. Like you said, it was kept kept pretty brief this week. So I uh, went two and three quarters again. So another pretty good match to get the show going. All right. Our uh, WCW Saturday Night promo. Uh, nice Nice uh, firing shot from Tony saying it beats many primetime wrestling shows as well. Uh, so on the docket this week is Regal versus Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Mm-hmm. Amazing French Canadians versus Harlem Heat. Uh, and then kind of like a match to see who's facing Rey Mysterio. So the winner of the upcoming Scotty Riggs versus Dean Malenko match will face Rey Mysterio on Saturday night. So, uh, you know, that looks like a pretty intriguing matchup. So yeah. there you go. Uh, that leads us right into Scotty Riggs versus Dean Malenko. So the other half of American Males is out to get, get the American Males music twice on one show. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, quick, yeah, quick mat work with Larry talking about Riggs' separated shoulder. Uh, he mentions that because of the injury, Riggs lost some weight. That allowed him to make the cruiserweight uh, threshold. Drop toe hold by Dean. They continue to do some mat wrestling. Riggs gets some quick shoulder tackles and near falls. Riggs gets a pinfall attempt. And uh, this time we have six in the crowd now. Uh, uh, the propaganda people are out there too with signs. Riggs hits the post um, and uh, going for a shoulder block. He goes shoulder first. Uh, Riggs fights back with a cross body. Uh, onto the outside, just like Bagwell. I, I liked it. This was kind of like a neat bit of foreshadowing, but um, I don't know if they even meant to, but they kind of looked into this. So so they did the exact same move, like they do a crossbody to the outside. The announcers actually mentioned that Riggs didn't have as much impact as the one Bagwell did in his match. So I, I thought that was kind of cool uh, that they mentioned that. Uh, double axe handle from the top back inside Riggs gets a two count Riggs goes to the top again but Malenko uh, goes into the rope Riggs loses his balance he falls to the outside where Bagwell's at and then Bagwell very quickly and kind of disgusting with a disgusting look on his face he uh, quickly rolls him back in right into a Malenko Oklahoma roll and that gets the three count so can see where things are heading here. Uh, seems like they're going to be heading quicker than the smoking guns uh, um, breakup. Uh, pretty quick match here. What we saw, I thought, was fine. I went two stars. Yeah, pretty big night with the uh, the males working separately here. But um, like you said, again, we saw Bagwell working more aggressively and, and heelish earlier. And it kind of plays in more here where he seems aggravated. With Riggs, this kind of ends up costing him the match. In a way, he shoots him right back in for Malenko to get the win. Uh, Larry calls six a sleazy punk, <laughs> which is a good description. Uh, we also, you know, have talked about Malenko defending against psychosis at World War Three, so that looks like that could be pretty good. Um, 
and again, a lot of talk about Bischoff being in Portland and all that is, is a heavy discussion point. One thing I thought was interesting, Tony says the winner of World War III is the next person, will be the first person to get the next Hulk Hogan title shot. So yeah. we'll see if that holds up. I'm curious if that's a dropped angle or not, um, because I don't remember it coming to fruition, but it could be wrong. Uh, I think that... Oh, actually, you know what? Maybe, right. Yeah, you're right. I yeah, think you're that's right. okay. I actually think that's kind of good that they're getting out in front of that. Yeah, because that to me plays into the marketing mm -hmm. of them talking about the Piper Hogan negotiations right. and kind of projecting it as the match of the decade or whatever, as far as instead of like for the championship. Right. They never so. don't say it again. That becomes an issue at the end of the match. But uh, you're right. This is like subtle seed planting, whether they meant it or not. Right. Right. Uh, I thought the match was weird. I thought Malenko didn't get any offense in really. Um the males plus the NWO stuff kind of dominated. Uh, I thought Dean could look stronger. So I just went a star and a half. Like, I was actually a little disappointed in this one. But I think Angle just completely took over. Okay. Uh, get some footage showing of the Benoit Eddie match last week, kind of showing how beat up uh, both guys were. Uh, leads us right into kind of our feature match of, match of the night, Hector Guerrero, which have we seen him? I actually wanted to make note of Yeah, that. I think he's. Uh, yeah, I didn't, like we have, but I didn't mark I him know. as a debut, so I think I checked. I'm sure. Okay, I'll double check while you talk. Okay. But I, I meant to do that. But anyway, he comes out with a pretty slink cape on, mm -hmm. and uh, he's facing Benoit. Uh, Tony, meanwhile, talks about Arn having a back injury. So he's out of the commission. Flair did finally undergo his surgery in the past weeks, so he's out. They uh, do promote a special interview with him next week. Uh, and then uh, we get this weird situation. This is kind of straight out of the Big Bang Boom tour, where <laughs> yeah. Tony Tony talks about an interview that Benoit gave on WCW Saturday Night uh, that Sullivan is not the man he used to be. And we get an insert promo from Kevin Sullivan, who responds, and Sullivan's very solemn, and he promotes this match with Baltimore on November 23rd. And I kept looking. I was like, "What the date of World War Three? Like, what? What are we doing?" But it's just like a random house show <laughs> in Baltimore. So, so big grudge match uh, to promote that. Mm -hmm. uh, quick start in the match. Hector getting some arm drag take and head scissor takeovers. Uh, Benoit bells the outside. Hector does a springboard backward splash that looked cool. Uh, he then sends Benoit shoulder first in the post. Uh, uh, Larry talks about how Benoit had that taped up and that was kind of a bullseye for Hector to target. Hector works that over, I thought, really well. Some uh, cranks it out, you know, doing a ton of little subtle stuff, but like wrapping it into a uh, short arm scissor and slamming it back with his legs and all sorts of stuff. We take a break. Uh, with the break, we get the NWO by the shirt promo. Mm -hmm. uh, come back, Benoit. Uh, gets a knee in as we transition to hour two. So now we kind of have dueling uh, body limb work with the shoulder of Benoit, and then Benoit starts targeting the midsection of Hector. Uh, so Benoit does a front suplex, hanging Hector on the ropes. He lifts him up, sends him stomach first over his knee, abdominal stretch to continue to work that area. Uh, Tony keeps talking about Piper and Hogan and the hype that is getting out of control. 
Uh, Hector gets a small package as a hope spot, but Benoit kicks him in the midsection again and then does a really hard short-arm clothesline as the fireworks go off uh, for hour number two. Larry immediately transitions out of commentary and comes Bobby and Tanae. Uh, we get another small package as a hope spot from Hector. They exchange some shots. Hector gets sent into the turnbuckle. Hector rolls through, gets a head scissors. This is where Dave was talking about the crowd's distracted by something happening in the crowd. I uh, initially thought nothing was there because they don't point right. to the crowd with any camera angle. It's not till after the match that we see Giant in the crowd with the U.S. belt. So I guess that's what they were looking at. But it's like a two-minute gap from when you can see the crowd turning around and uh, when we actually see the Giant. Uh, so rolling cradle by Hector. I, I, I just I really like this match. I thought Hector pulled out mm-hmm. a lot of kind of unique looking offense. You don't see uh, woman gets in the ring, breaks up the count. Uh, Hector is kind of distracted from that. Benoit gets a roll up with his foot on the ropes. So so a lot of roll up finishes, as we'll talk about tonight. I think that's one of the perils of some of the finishes tonight. A lot of roll ups. But uh, I thought this was a really fun match. Um you know, this this was kind of, to me, this was a hidden gem of a match for me. I went three and a quarter. Again, like, Hector's not someone I I'm, I'm really resonate with as far as the Guerrero clan. I'm kind of, uh, you know, obviously Eddie, but then also Chavo Sr. Um, Hector's kind of down there with uh, Mondo. But um, very fun match. Very good effort from him here. Yeah, it was it was quite good. Um Tony at one point says Sullivan and Benoit may end up in the potty and Larry mocks him for using the word potty. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he does have a good point. He says the horsemen always at the best when they're down. A lot of talk about Piper. He says the fans have been flooding uh, with comments to sign the match. We get to hour two. He said, you know, Tony stays with us here. No Bischoff because he's in Portland. Uh, the fireworks going off during the match. Uh, I like the finish too. Like, I'm okay with a woman playing a role. Benoit has been kind of through it lately, so he's pretty banged up. Uh, so he's able to sneak the win out. I thought the match was long. It was hard fought. Uh, just really two great workers thrown down, trying whatever they can do to unload the arsenal to win. Uh, Benoit is excels at the ease of this, and, and Hector has the cred to hang with him. Uh, I think a Christopher win obviously would have always been better, but woman helping again is, is fine. Benoit so beat up. It's okay. Yeah. They need a little help to get through this. So I went three stars. Uh, I thought it was really fun and it was definitely a different type of match and, and Hector can go. So I think if he does stick around, even just on TV, like a guy, you know, we'd seen over the last couple of weeks, Jimmy graffiti, like dudes like yep. that are perfect for nitro because you can't have every match always be two guys getting pushed or two stars. So utilizing guys like that, that can work. Um, but don't matter if they lose or really that would be a nice addition to the show regularly. Yeah. Uh, so this is Hector's debut. Okay. Hey, wait, saw him for some reason. Now they have a crazy, this is a crazy turnaround. So the next night they do a WCW Saturday night taping in Gainesville, Georgia. It's pretty mm. brutal like, yeah, to go from Grand yeah. Rapids, Michigan to Georgia, Gainesville, Georgia. Uh, unfortunately for us, we will not see Hector again on Nitro until April 7th of next oh, wow. year. So, I, I mean, I assume he was working kind of stuff in Mexico, maybe. Cage match is very spotty for him. Like, he only has... Uh, five matches from now till April. So maybe he was injured or maybe he was doing something right. else. But 
Yeah, we don't we don't see a lot of him uh, actually on Nitro itself. He only has one, two, three, four, five, six matches overall. So All a right. little smattering. more times. So. Yeah, yeah. But this is a fun debut. Uh, he's not the he's not the gobbledygooker, correct? Uh, yes, he is. He is, he is yeah. the kind of, I always think it's Mondo, it's just because yeah, Mondo feels like it'd be the gobbledygooker. Okay. All right. So the Giants in the crowd with the U.S. Bell clips of the last week with Jarrett and uh, Ricky Morton. Then, uh, you know, I talked about how I like Giants promo last mm-hmm. week a lot. I guess they did too because they show the whole <laughs> thing thing again. Yeah. Yeah. So there we go. Uh, Tanae then does an interview. Uh, I thought this was an interesting interview where he, he has an interview with uh, Jarrett, Mongo, and Benoit. So kind of, quote unquote, it's under the guise of all the horsemen. So uh, Jarrett immediately says, you're talking to the lead horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, we may be down, but not out. And uh, as he as he goes along there and says that line about being the lead horse and whatnot, Ben Walk kind of quickly interrupts, says, uh, you know, he will tell him like it is. Any business will be dealt with by a horseman. Mongo then jumps in and says, in the age of free agency, he can't see how someone just puts his butt down like Jarrett did. Uh, and, uh, you know, like he has to kind of earn that spot. And Mongo says that him and Ben Walk will kind of keep vigilant until Orn and Flair are back and uh, handle horseman business. And as far as he is concerned, this interview is over with the horseman is over. So him and Benoit stomp off. Uh, that just leaves Jarrett there. And then Tanae transitions the interview to kind of how Jarrett has said no one has stepped up in WCW and taken over leadership. We see Sting in the aisle again. Uh, and then Jarrett just goes in crapping on everybody. He says, the, <laughs> says to the nasty boys that actions speak louder than words. Because of uh, fat Joe boys. Yeah. Piper needs to wipe the Hollywood makeup off his face and see if he still got it. Uh, when Jarrett gets the ball, he scores every time. You can't say that about Sting. He's walking on a catwalk. He fumbled the ball last time. He turned his back on the people. Um, so pretty scathing promo here by Jarrett, but basically saying like, you know, he's, he's the one. Well, him and Flair. Step up. Him he and puts Flair. Flair up. Yeah. Yeah. He does say like when Flair comes back, but you know, they're the ones that are willing to take the reins and kind of lead WCW. So I thought, I thought it was a fine promo from him again. No, I think it's really good. Um, the fat boy thing made me laugh. <laughs> uh, he also, um, calls today's, uh, Mongo calls today's zipper head <laughs> in this part. <laughs> Um, it was, it's an interesting approach. Like we don't know yet. Is Jared delusional or is he legit? Is he trying to fill this leadership vacuum and he sees an opening and a chance to really put himself into a prime position in the company by, by being, doing something that not anyone else seems willing to do. So it's, it's an interesting take. I think you always remember the horseman stuff and not as much like this part where he's trying to fill the power void and, uh, say he'll, he'll, he'll be the one to lead WCW if he has to even though because everyone else seems unwilling to do it. It's interesting to me that Luger seems to still exist in his own world. I know we talked about this previously, but they never mention him when they talk about leaders and guys to step up and who's going to lead and this and that, like he never gets mentioned. It's like, it's almost like they want you to forget about him because they're not ready yet to make him the guy. It's, it's an odd approach and handling of him. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that. I had some notes on that with his match coming up. Um, He's definitely in an interesting spot for sure. Mm. So, 
I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's for sure uh, something to track. Uh, they kind of come back to the announce booth after the break to reset things. Uh, Tony says that we push Sting over the edge. Uh, Bobby then kind of armchair psychiatry talks about it, says, uh, you know, he relied too much on his friends and the kids. He didn't know how to react, but that makes him dangerous. It uh, goes on about that. Tanae then uh, transitions and talks about Hogan and Piper, match mm-hmm. of the decade, blah, blah, blah. Uh, did you have anything else on that? No, no. Basically says the two biggest stars of the last 10 years are going to right. hopefully face off. Uh, then we get our road report. You, uh, By the way, actually, th- th- that's an interesting thing, the Hogan and Piper being the two biggest stars. that The they approach they take in a way kind of belittles WCW because like they're downplaying flair sting Luger. like they're saying Hogan and Piper are the two biggest stars in the last 10 years, which I mean, I don't don't think it's, it's, it's in the realm. It's not like completely crazy, but it's interesting that they're pretty much propping up two WF guys as the biggest names in wrestling over the last 10 years. I, I definitely would like it better if they just left it to the match of the decade. Right. I, I think you can say like, hey, but it's like two of the biggest stars, two That's of it. the biggest stars. And it's the match of the decade. Like this is the the marquee match in wrestling we haven't gotten in the past decade. I, I feel like that's certainly fair at this point, because, you know, really, if you think about it, like what else would it have been? Because we have gotten Sting versus Hogan. We have gotten Flair versus everybody, including mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart at Etc. in the past decade. Not Hogan favorite. and Brett, I guess you could argue. Hogan and Brett, maybe. But yeah, I, I think that's uh I think that's certainly Macho's face to everybody, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if him and Sting have faced off, but Taker and Sting, maybe something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I I do think like saying match of the decade is a better path right. than two biggest stars. Uh, I would say it's more of a shot at Flair, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's outside out of mind, I guess. All right, yeah, we do get the road report. Lee Marshall's in from St. Petersburg. Uh, he says he's warm and cozy at an nitro party. Tickets are still available. Uh, pretty quick hitter for Marshall. We don't really get much else. He nah. does put over the, the newly christened world champion, New York Yankees, uh, who defeated the Braves. So, uh, yes. Tampa so that's their, uh, yeah, that's their spring training home there. Uh, no weasel lines tonight so no no he's, he's a team i feel like we're not into the full groove of those yet like once it once they really get going that's every week but for right now it seems like he hasn't he hasn't decided that's gonna be a thing yet full time we'll see if it's sporadic i thought with him dropping it last week it was gonna be a thing but i think it's coming and then it's every week okay uh then we get our woman's match rena jabuki mm-hmm. versus medusa uh jabuki is a Kudo in a mask. Um, honest guy, like one of the best wrestlers of all time. Uh, kind of interesting to see her in this right. environment. Um, uh, Tanae mentions the Peace Festival, which has a kind of 2022 uh, reference where Dave and the uh, Antonio Inoki obituary a couple weeks ago had to drop in that that's when Hokuto and Sasuke met each other and had oh, yes. all yeah. passionate sex for some reason so yeah. nothing to do with the no keep but there we Didn't go hold on to that one for a while no he, uh, he, br- he brings that up anytime he can and uh people the wrestlers could hear how loud they were having sex with each other 
This is a, a tournament match, actually. It's yes. The first women's title tournament match. So Yeah. So they had the, uh, right before the match, they had the belt again on display at the announce booth. Uh, before they go to that, um, uh, Reina gets the, uh, basically the Japanese generic WCW music. They, they really love this one. Uh, we, we probably should have, yeah. we probably should have tracked who all gets this music, <laughs> but I'm guessing there's going to be four or five be different lot. wrestlers that, <laughs> yeah. that and the Hollywood Blondes theme. Uh, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Bobby says that she's half woman, half goose. Okay. <laughs> Pyro for Medusa. Uh, Tanae name drops Gaia. Which mm-hmm. is funny. Um, so this I had a little bit of an issue with. Tony retcons it a little bit, saying like he's the senior official. Nick Patrick is a referee here. Again, it's kind of what I've been railing on. Like, you know, enough of him. And this and this right. is the one match where nothing matters. So right. I mean, he, he just there? didn't need to be out there. So yeah. it's weird that he like picks sides. Uh, Jabuki starts off strong, goes after Medusa, Snapmare sends her over, boot to the throat. She starts biting the fingers. Uh, USA champ from Grand Rapids. Uh, she then goes after the foot. Then we get Zero coming out. That's Chigusa mm-hmm. Nagoya, another legend uh, from the Crush Gals. Um, and that she's actually the promoter, owner of Gaia. Uh, Sony Ono's with her. Uh, Dave really goes off on this like he said he, now he calls the sunny ono stuff very racist I, I mean i'm not gonna say like that uh you know it wasn't but i didn't think it was too offensive what sonny did here I, I i certainly didn't have a huge uh issue with it as much as dave um the the fact that chagusa is named zero is weird because that's kind of oh what's he say it's like the bombs they used and the code name for the bombs that were used in world war ii basically, so she wasn't dave, that name anywhere else it was only here no like dave basically equated it to if somebody from america went over there and started calling themselves uh hiroshima or whatever yeah here he goes Zero is the name of the planes the Japanese used on Americans in World War II. So it's a major offensive stereotype, except that for whomever came up with the name, nobody even knows it. Ono Act doing Dick Tracy early 60s Japanese character would be the pits, even if it wasn't racist. Basically, Zero would be the equivalent of Hogan going to Japan and wrestling in Hiroshima under the name H-Bomb. So there you go. So he really takes them to task for that uh I'll, I'll check cage match and make sure she wasn't zero in gimmick but it's not i know for sure it's not prominent like great muda you know it, it's not like that uh, right. but anyway like she kind of comes out to scout uh northern light suplex from jabuki gets a uh, near fall jabuki's up to the top of the missile drop kick but medusa is uh, able to bridge out and catches Jabuki with a German suplex, and that's it. She actually does get a nice pop for the finish. Uh, this was fine. This is a uh, Medusa and Zero stare off after the match. This, this um, this is weird. I mean, it, it's it's a fine match. It is weird seeing Hakuto in this setting. She's also mm. unmasked and in this tournament, so we'll see those matches. It's a little bit of Tenru at WrestleMania Seven vibes, where like. Right. 
you know, like this is a legend that's in a throwaway match uh, to some degree. I mean, I know they say this is a tournament match, but who really cares? So kind of a weird match. I went two stars. Tony says the tourney matches are going to happen on Saturday night as well as Nitro. So we'll mm-hmm. have to see how many we get. I did create a tracker for the theme. We'll, we'll count from here on out. We'll see who else has it. But okay. um, I had a Jabuki in here. Uh, it was fine. I thought Jabuki actually outworked Medusa pretty much the whole way. Uh, even though Medusa ends up nabbing the wind, which is pretty much how you'd expect it to go at this point. Uh, I thought, you know, they get the concept started. They had a little intrigue with Zero and Ono kind of setting up the top heel for the tournament at this point now you can assume if we're gonna if we're gonna actually get to a final it's probably gonna be medusa and zero the way they're already setting it up so they did a good job at least getting that going the half woman half goose kind of broke me up uh today and, and tony broke too when he said that he actually cracked them up pretty good with that comment um so, again patrick being the ref was stupid too i, I went two and a half stars I mean, this is crazy. Like, so yeah, Zero had never, she never used that gimmick until here. Um, she has the, for sure, she, that's who she was, you know? Yeah. The, she has, so, oh my God. Chigusa Nagoya has two matches in WCW, period. They're both next week. They were both taped. It's the first round match and the semifinal match. She's in the ring for a combined like four minutes and fifteen seconds. Jesus. So basically, was here this week. Does the match next week? That's it. <laughs> She's gone. Uh, she does. Uh, looks like rekindle the gimmick at Double Destiny, a guy show. She faces Devil Masami in 1997 with that gimmick. Uh, then she wrestles a match for a minute. In 1998 with that gimmick. And then decides to... Uh, think that's it. Check. Yeah, I believe that's... Or uh, she brings it back out in 2019. <laughs> for uh, a one-off. So, not one she uh, relied upon much. As I suspected. Alright. Odd. Odd positioning and decisions. Uh, for Definitely. Sure. Did you say, like, Jabuki was going after Nick Patrick in the corner? So, obviously, <laughs> she didn't know. Um, Bobby, of course, says he hadn't seen women fighting over, uh, like, the last time he was in Bloomingdale's. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, a lot of that. nonsense. Pro- probably more uh, more stereotypical than, uh, mm-hmm. than Sonny Ono, actually. Bobby's commentary. Uh, then we get M. Wall Street versus Chris Jericho. Uh, firemen take over by Wall Street to start. Jericho takes over with some arm work. He keeps cranking the arm. Announcers are uh, speculating if Sting's going to be in the World War III Battle Royal. A lot of speculation throughout this ma- match. A lateral press by Jericho, spinning back kick. I thought Jericho was really kind of pushing the pace to start on Wall Street on offense. It made me optimistic for the match. Right as I type that, Jericho gets sent to the outside. <laughs> Bobby calls him a show-off. Uh, Jericho's kind of favoring his leg. Um, then Tony has a shot at the uh, attorney. Patrick's attorney called him boring <laughs> the previous week, which was funny. Uh, and then Wall Street's on top. Of course, he slows things down. He gets some forearms on the chest, kicks to the back. 
uh, goes to the abdominal stretch with assist from the ropes, goes back to his trusty chin lock. I mean, Jericho was favoring his leg. Like, it felt like he gave an opening to do something interesting, and then he just does nothing. He does an abdominal stretch and a chin lock. He just sucks ass. Like, he really does. He's a terrible wrestler. Uh, jawbreaker from Jericho to break out of the chin lock. He sends Wall Street in the turnbuckle pad, hits to the top, hits the missile drop kick. Wall Street hits the outside, kind of goes Jericho in, sends him into the post, but then back into the ring, another kind of flash roll up. Again, we've had too many of those. Um, so this is kind of the third finish that's in on the flash roll up. Match overall, I went to start in three quarter. Again, I thought Jericho had his working boots on and mm-hmm. was uh, working hard. Wall Street just gave him not much of nothing. Wall Street's terrible. Um, Bobby, Bobby's really on one tonight. I don't know if he was drinking or what. Uh, he's all <laughs> over Jericho's hair. Like he's yeah. he's just kind of all over the place throughout this episode. Um, Jericho's been on a hot streak too, so it kind of sucked mm-hmm. that they slogged him with Wall Street here. Um, Bobby does say Jericho's a show off. He wants to be liked, but he's gonna get real. You know, Hogan's in the building. We're still waiting about hearing from Bischoff and Piper. Uh, Wall Street again, just. Too much offense. Just a complete slog. Not even Jericho could, could get him going. Um, give me a stronger win. If we're going to get Wall Street, who's yeah. just a complete chore to watch, at least give us a stronger win for Jericho. Uh, but he does keep chugging. I went two stars. And again, it was all Jericho. Just carried this match. So we get the uh, interview with Patrick as attorney. Jericho interrupts. Says everyone knows there's nothing wrong with Nick Patrick's ref. Uh, he says that he knows that Nick Patrick is a paid employee at the NWO. Mr. Sharp then interjects and says that uh, his wall is tumbling down. <laughs> That's a great and, line. Uh, yeah. <laughs> is it not true that your father was an NHL hockey goon? Uh, of course, that, you know, Jericho's like, that was the past. That's my father, not me. Teddy Long then comes out, he jumps in. Uh, and uh, Shark says, I went to a fight today and a hockey game broke out. And he was very <laughs> proud of that. Uh, Teddy brings up, of course, the earlier match with Ice Train and Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, he says, like, everybody saw that. He actually calls St. Patrick a player hater in uh, 1996. I don't mm-hmm. know he name dropped that at this point. Uh, says that he's an employee of the NWO. Uh, Ted, DiBiase, and Vince are showing the crowd looking on at this. And then uh, Mr. Sharp came prepared where he also brings up Teddy Long being suspended as a referee. And uh, Teddy really stumbles over his words. No, oh, he's a mess. As it kind of ends the segment. So that didn't look good for Teddy. And Bobby's right on top of it. He says, like, Teddy went, I, 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 and uh, <laughs> kind of takes him to task. So I, I actually thought this was enjoyable. Again, like, I've been not liking this Patrick mm-hmm. Sharp stuff. It is a little corny, but I thought Sharp was pretty funny. Actually, tonight he had some decent lines. Uh, he's kind of, I mean, of course, he's in the Clarence Mason vein. Um, so a little cartoony for sure, but. Um, I liked it better than last week's promo, I guess. Yeah, I like Sharp here. I, I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was good. Um, Jericho is like that guy whose friend is like drunk and trying to argue with him, and it ends up screwing up the whole debate. He's like, <laughs> he like he's making his points. He's kind of on point, and then Teddy comes out and he fucks the whole thing up. And then Jericho's look, we're not talking about what's going on with that with Teddy Long. Who cares? Um, mm-hmm. He's trying to make his gets his point across, but Long screwed it all up because he showed up and it gives Sharp the chance. Call him out. You're a crooked ref. You got suspended for infractions years ago. What do you get to say? 
Um, and through all this, DiBiase is watching for the crowd. So, again, the NWO continues to observe on this night. Uh, Tony reminds us tomorrow is Election Day. And this would have been, what, Clinton and uh, um, Dole. Dole? Yeah. Yep. Not much yeah. uh, question going into that one, coming out of that one. <laughs> yeah, not, not, not too much of a surprise there. We went up too late into the night. Rasmussen was uh, was all over that one. Sure. <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> Perot. That was one of the big Perot ones, still, right? Was he still here? Uh, yeah, I mean, he still ran, but he didn't have as much traction as 92. Right. Yep. Those are the All days. Right. A, lot less, a lot less angst out there on the political <laughs> culture. Yeah. Uh, now we're ready for our in-ring main event. Lex Luger versus Booker, Booker T. Repeat from last week. Uh, Luger gets the power advantage to start off. Bobby says Sting has to be NWO because he's wearing black and white. He used to wear yellow, all these colors. Now he's just wearing black and white. Booker reverses an attempt. Luger gets suplex. Crowd's hot for him. Back elbow sends Booker to the floor as we head to break. Uh, Luger has the advantage as we head back. He power slams Booker down. He's looking dominant so far, but Booker's able to get the stun gun to uh, change the momentum. Scissor kick from Booker looks really good. Tony talks about how a year ago, Everyone was kind of pointing the finger at Luger and whether Sting could trust him. And my eyes, the tables have turned on that. So I like that. I thought that was good commentary by Tony mentioning that. Uh, Luger gets sent to the outside, gets a kick from Sherry to boot. Uh, Booker sends Luger into the post. Uh, shot fired by Tony saying that we are the one, we are the hour that ran them all away. Mm-hmm. Kind of talking about that with the uh, time change of Raw. Yeah, they're really uh, gloating on that. Mm-hmm. Back kick by Booker inside. Booker goes for it again, crotches himself. Bobby makes a reference that that's like the uh, 50 Cent Kmart pony ride outside. Uh, clothesline from Luger, power slam. He goes for the rack, but Booker grabs the ropes. Very resourceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby yeah. actually thought I had a brilliant commentary line saying like a year ago, Booker wouldn't have been, a, mm-hmm. you know, resourceful enough to do that. Uh, Booker comes back with a spin wheel kick, and now Colonel Robert Parker's ringside. He's hugging Sherry. Booker gets an insecurity, but Parker's up on the apron. That distracts Booker, and again, we get a roll-up to win. Too many uh, so roll-ups. Too many too roll-ups. Many. And when you read it and watch it out, just way too many roll-ups. Uh, weird finish, I thought. The stuff with Parker and Sherry. This mm, needs to go away. Feels like that Saturday night fodder to me. Well, Halloween um, Havoc should have been the end when he fucked up and cost on the belts. Like yeah, that should have been it. Yeah, that could have been it. Because uh, that's an owl. Like you can use that. So right. uh, the match itself, I thought was pretty lively though. I enjoyed it two and a half again. I mean, overall, I, I got to say this this uh, raw. I mean, that's raw. This nitro in ring. It's almost like if you could couple the end ring here with the angle on Raw, you'd have one of the best shows of all time. Um, but uh, I, I liked a lot of the end ring stuff on this Nitro. I went two and a half. Yeah, I went two and three quarters. I thought it was good. Luger's on fire. His offense is so on point. He just looks great. It's Again, I mean, I can see why they're trying to bury the lead with him because it, the story is supposed to be there's no leadership. But here's Luger just crushing everyone in his path. Uh, I feel like they should have given a explanation around this. Like Hogan snuck in something to the fall brawl clause that Luger wasn't allowed a ton of. Like, just give me something to explain why, when you're so desperate for a, a major star to step up, this guy's dominant. Or, or give us something to say, like we still don't trust him. Whatever it is, that it's not. They're not saying yeah. anything. 
Did it's like it's just like oh he's preoccupied with staying and like that's pretty much it. Right. But yeah. Um we need some reason why he's not getting the shot or or why they aren't going to him. What if they went to him and he said, "Look, I'm I'm not ready cuz I'm I'm my head's not in it cuz of staying." Like give us something, yes. right? Some reason as to why he's not being asked to to take the mantle. Uh Booker's clearly growing. It was a better outing for him than last week for sure. It was much smoother. Uh Luger being aggressive is fun. The crowd just feeds off his energy. Again, enough roll-ups, but I went two and three quarter. I, I liked it quite a bit as a match. Um, and I th- I'm really into Luger right now, and I just I wish they just give that small caveat to explain why he's not there yet. Yeah, that would be good for sure. Uh, Sting was looking on for the match, of course, yep. from the Raptors. Uh, come back for kind of our final segment. Tony talks about the Piper Hogan match, magnitude of it again, and uh, they've got Bischoff on the phone from Portland. So Eric says uh, things are going well. Piper wants to sign the match, etc. But then he says, because, you know, Piper's a movie star, celebrity, etc. He has agents and attorneys, and that's where things are not going as well as he'd hoped. Uh, that gets some booze from the crowd, so I mm-hmm. guess they kind of piped it in, I guess. Right. Uh, t- Tony kind of presses him and says, like, is there one thing, Eric, that's really being the holdup of the negotiations? Eric says, you know, there's not one thing. It could be uh, movie commitments, but he's not sure. He's just gotten stonewalled a couple times today. And uh, then he mentions that next Tuesday he's flying to Toronto to talk to Roddy himself. And he wants to find out from him himself that, um, you know, kind of what the holdup is. He says that, you know, both Roddy and Hogan have egos the size of Mount Hood. Uh, That's where Bobby interjects and says that, you know, Hogan will spread kind of the rumors that Piper is hiding behind the attorneys. And uh, that's not good. Eric has a good line here that says, uh, you know, who knows what's going on in Hogan's mind? I don't. Um, So so I I thought this was pretty effective in Mm -hmm. what will eventually happen uh, as far as the angle progresses. I like this. And Tony admits, too, he says, um that uh, Bischoff is the executive producer of WCW. So right. I, I know it's kind of been hinted at before, but this is like a clear statement that this is Bischoff's role. Um, and he says he'll work until the match is signed. So, uh, yeah, no, I thought this is really good, too. I thought they did a nice job um, setting the setting the stage. You know, we got a few more weeks to even just a World War III. It's clear it's not going to happen there. We know that. So we're going to we're going to drag it out a bit. And it's believable. Piper hasn't wrestled in a while. Um you know, he's busy he's in Hollywood and this other stuff. So it makes sense that he's they're kind of hesitant a little bit to get the, the deal done. Um, we then again, though, get the Piper Hogan Halloween Havoc showdown. Like we've seen this a million fucking times. Like, yeah, this is a, yeah. I mean, between the we've seen it on both nitros kind of mm-hmm. in total. I, I mean, if somebody watching the shows, it's great for me because I'm fast forwarding. But yeah, I mean, right. this was eight minutes still. So I, I felt this was one, one too many. I had to put it on Saturday night. It may have been on Saturday night, too, for all I know. Well, uh, and we're getting Hogan anyway in a minute. So it's not like they're using as a proxy because, oh, well, we're not going to have Hogan on. So let's show this. I mean, he's coming out anyway. So. Yeah, it seemed one time too many. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I said, NWO music starts. Uh, we get Hogan's crew coming out. It's Vincent, Giant with the U.S. belt, DiBiase, and Hogan. Uh, Hogan says, did you feel the level go through the roof out there when he arrives? He puts the spotlight on himself. Uh, he then goes on a <laughs> kind of weird uh, detour, talking about the Cable Ace Awards. Uh, says he doesn't have his invitation. 
says if he uh, he made Ted Turner what he was, Nitro's the hottest show in the country. And if he doesn't get nominated or get invited, he's going to crash the party anyway. Uh, he did all he could to lead that sissy uh, with a skirt to slaughter, talking about Piper. Uh, he said he did all he could to try to have a match with them, but Piper has no heart. Piper is scared to wrestle Hollywood. Uh, Roddy doesn't have this much, holds up, you know, little tiny fingers, uh, this much of Hollywood's guts. Uh, you can find him sitting next to the Macho Man, so a nice ricochet shot at Macho <laughs> yeah, Man that was unnecessary. Yeah. Um, so petty to him. Uh, Hollywood is your master, and he's uh, the NWO heavyweight champion. And uh, then he gets a quick plug in for his new movie, Santa with Muscles. Mm-hmm. So um, gets that in, hands the microphone to Ted, and then does a pose down as we go off the air. So I, I thought this is actually a pretty succinct Hogan promo. Yeah. Um, again, we're a long way out from the match itself. We're still, God, what, seven weeks from the mm-hmm. match. So we got a long way to go on this. So I, I thought this was good. And getting Hogan out there, keeping it on the forefront of the fans' minds, but not, you know, having it be labored. So good job for Hogan, who can certainly, you know, be long-winded at points. Yeah, he wasn't rambling as, as long-winded as usual. Um, and I don't mind him. He's kind of been the closing act on Nitro, so mm-hmm. it's like, but it hasn't been too bad because he's been quick. He gets his points out, poses, and we're out. So like they've been, you know, crowd gets to see him. We're kind of killing time to Piper anyway. And yeah. as long as he keeps it brief and doesn't go all over the place, it it makes sense. Uh, I want to call it Shivani. I thought he was amazing on this episode. Mm. Uh, he covered a lot of topics, directed the ship. Uh, throughout the show he was there for the whole show got a lot of points across the matches ever suffer like we talked a lot about on raw how the stuff dominated the match and they ignore the match i know that was an extreme example but tony is very good at just like talking about things by also making sure we know that he's watching the match as well so he's just very smooth i I just thought he was great i just noticed it especially on this night i just thought he was really good at just kind of narrating us through the night yeah, I mean, I, I think from watching both of these shows, like, you're definitely taking away that this this may be the first time we have the two hottest matches built together where you have Hogan versus Piper and Austin mm-hmm. versus Brett, where you have really two white-hot matches being built towards. So yeah. it's, it's fun in that regard. All right, let's get to our awards. Uh, match of the night, I had Guerrero and Benoit. Yep. The moment I went the Hogan promo, um, same. I think it's the best of the night. So this is for MVP. This is where I went. I went Shivani. Um, I, I, mm. I, no one else to me really stood out on the night. I guess maybe Hogan, but I thought Shivani was the voice for the entire hour forty or whatever, and just was an expert at getting everything across um, without it feeling overwhelming. Was crisp, concise, called the matches. Uh, I just I just thought he did a really good job. I wanted to give him a shout out because no one else to me really stood out of the night. Well, that's not bad. I, I ended up going Benoit. I thought it was a pretty easy week for me to give it to him on WCW because he's not winning the combined award. Mm-hmm. So there you go. I mean, he had a good match and his promo was fine too. Uh, shots fired. Just Tony saying Saturday night beats most primetime wrestling shows, which was funny. And then at hour yeah. two is the one that chased them all away. Yep, that's all I got. Debuts we had uh, we had Hector, Jabuki, and Zero. Anyone else yep. miss? I think that's it. The WCW Japanese theme music, uh, Randy Jabuki. 
Uh, final grade, you know, it was a good episode. I don't think it was a great episode. We didn't really have that one knockout match, but it was very steady. We didn't really have anything kind of dragging it down either. Kind of chugged along. No major angles. It felt very much like a uh, placeholder episode of Nitro as we're just trying to kill some time. But uh-huh. even those episodes of Nitro still get stuff across. Still further angles well. Um, so I went six and a half. Again, it was a very good episode of wrestling television. Just, you know, a little second tier behind like the usual big stuff that they got going on yeah i think i would generally the same conclusion i went seven out of ten thought it was good not great really no huge angles i think was what prevented it all right let's get to our combo awards and then we'll wrap up uh best show uh raw obviously we're both higher on yeah that is Raw's first win. Uh, actually, just in a couple of weeks. They won October 21st. So, yep. two out of the last three, they're on a hot streak. <laughs> uh, yep. See if it continues. Match of the night, we're going Benoit Guerrero. Yes. Okay. Segment, obviously, uh, Austin breaking into Pillman's. Mm-hmm. Uh, All right, commentary. We're going to go Nitro. Yeah. I mean, Vince was good, and so was King. Quite a bit on that night, but I just I thought this was like one of Shivani's best outings. I just thought he was awesome. Ross, I think hurt. Yeah, I'd go Nitro. Yeah, it, it was it was close because Vince was really good at getting that across, and King was too. Um, star of the night, uh, you want to go solo, Austin, or you want to give it to the triumvirate? Um, either way, I'm fine with the try. Uh, yeah, let's give it to all three of them. Trio. Okay. Like I said, they were. They all really stood out to that. that everyone remembers all of them to that segment. If it was one of those things where, like, oh, yeah, I forgot Kevin was in the, like, But everyone remembers who's there. Um, and then Nitro obviously wins the rating. Yeah, let me talk about the ratings. Yeah. I think this is important. Um, so uh, the overall snapshots, uh, 2.3 for Raw. That's up from a 2 the prior week. And a mm-hmm. 3.4 for Nitro. It's down 0.2. Still a 1.1 gap. Not bad. So it, lo- it looks like Nitro gained a little momentum. Uh, here's the observer, though, on that. And I thought this was really interesting and in really good detail. Uh, so I'll read it again verbatim. The bottom line is that WCW drew a 3.4 rating, 5.1 share. WWF drew a 2.3 rating, 3.4 share. Nitro Replay did a 1.2 rating, 3.0 share. In the head-to-head hour, WCW did a 2.9. And without the second hour competition, it picked up to a 3.8. It actually would have been a 3.7 for that hour, but they went 11 minutes past the hour with all the Hogan Piper stuff, and that managed to give them an extra point one in the ratings. So that's interesting. You know, I mean, it was the third time we'd seen the crap from Halloween Havoc, but it still actually grew the rating overall. It's crazy. Um, looking at the quarter hours tells another story. WCW had a full point lead at 3.0 to 2.0 when they did the tease where Pillman pulled out the gun and the signal went out curiosity over that did make a significant difference so that was the second quarter hour it was 3.0 to 2.0 wcw third quarter hour saw them neck to neck so that's 8 30 to 8 45 with mm-hmm. a 2.8 rating most interestingly despite the wws teasing to get viewers to stay tuned and this shocked me wcw for the final quarter hour while benoit guerrero were doing their match picked up to a 3.2 while wwf dropped to a 2.5 
Bottom line, the angle worked, not nearly as well as the Bret Hart interview two weeks earlier, but it worked for a few minutes. But it was also teased for too long in between segments and was a major turnoff of the WWF traditional kids' audience. The idea was to keep viewers from switching back until the end of the show. The end result was that viewers switched back to Nitro while Raw was still going on in the final 15 minutes. Um, and then he goes in and talks about, this is a couple paragraphs down, but he gets even more detail. The WWF drop in the final quarter hour consisted of 125,000 kids switching off. Most interesting is at the same time, Nitro gained 124,000 kids <laughs> during the same quarter. So it's essentially the same kids switching literally from WWF to Nitro. 11,000 teenagers switched off, 63,000 men 18 to 34, 105,000 men 35 to 54, 49,000 women 18 to 34, 20,000 women 35 to 54, and 12,000 women 55 plus. The only audience that stayed with the angle as opposed to switching to Nitro in the final quarter hour is men 55 plus. So the more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, Nitro gained at the same time in every grouping except with women 35 to 54. Uh, so, I mean, this really goes through. It's it's interesting. Like the angle and more importantly, the switch off factor in the final 15 minutes saw it become the first time Nitro had beaten Raw with kids audience. So this is the first time Nitro had actually been Raw with the kids' audience. It won by 53 to 47 margin. Raw had the 55 to 45 edge in teenagers. Nitro had the 61 to 39 edge in adult males and a 56 to 44 edge in adult females, which is actually, when it comes to adult females, Raw's best showing in a while. So perhaps the idea of the wife held captive in her own house has some appeal to women watching because aside from that group and the teenagers, Raw did worse head-to-head than usual, particularly in the kids' department, which is the group it figured to pick up with because of the time slot move. The other notable thing when it comes to demographics is that the Hogan-Piper stuff, despite the age of the participants, seems to have the most appeal in teenagers and men 18 to 34, and a lot less of an appeal to the men 35 to 54 that one would think grew up on wrestling watching those guys. I think this is where Dave is wrong because if you're 18 to 34 in that demographic, that means, you know, a decade before you were watching Hogan and right. Piper as a kid. So even as a teenager like me, like I watched Hogan when I was five and six and Piper in 92 when I was six, mm-hmm. I was invested in that. So, uh, but that's interesting, you know, that like you do think of Hogan and Piper as kind of the dinosaurs, but they were tracking well with teenagers and 18 to 34 Right. And WWF was actually tracking better with 35 to 54. Uh, so really interesting ratings breakdown. Um, again, I think it was easy, like with the snapshot of that, to say the angle didn't work on Raw's side. I think we exhaustively went through why we think it did. Uh, but it's cool to read like moment in time and see that, you know, they actually did lose beers and then to kind of dissect that on why we think that was. Yeah, it was interesting, too. Like, you wouldn't necessarily have thought it, but I do think that long gap at the end um, between... Because when they lose the feed, you get the face-to-face and the Merrill Razor match between the gun back. I mean, that's that's a decent chunk of time right there. Um, so I think they could have used maybe one more in between uh, going back to them to at least give us hope that we're going back again. Because as that edge is along, you're like, all right... They're clearly not going back again tonight. They said it. The feed cut out. You know, Sean and Sid are done. We're slogging through this Mero match. 
it's obvious to me we're we're not going back to it. So I can see why uh, people would have turned off. But also, you know, with the kids too, yeah, maybe there were parents that were like, "This is too much. Like, I don't want you watching this." Right, censored you know, it. Yeah. So, so we talked about how kind of this again kind of kicks up the war in of itself in another gear. And uh, last thing I'll say, I'll leave you with this paragraph from Dave, which is pretty ominous about WCW and kind of what's going on. And uh, sort of gives a little bit of an interesting insight into what was actually happening. WWF opened the show at 7.57. Nitro started at 8 p.m. He suspects that'll be changed in future weeks. The general feeling within WCW at this point seems to be that NWO is what everyone wants to see. And what is feuding, uh, he meant fueling, the current increase in, in ratings, which aren't actually up as compared with pre-NWO this year, but are up judged against the same time last year. Buy rates, which are only slightly up. House shows, which actually were down last time we checked as an average, although some recent houses has been way up. And merchandising, which is way up. While many wrestlers have been upset over them having NWO guys in the stands and basically killing their Monday television matches, Steve Regal and Juventud Guerrero were really upset last week after their Nitro match. The belief in the company is if the NWO guys aren't on television, people will switch stations, forgetting their ratings before the NWO angle or at almost the exact same level. Anyway, the plan right now is to do NWO Monday Nitro head-to-head with Raw and WCW Monday Nitro in the second hour, although I'm not sure how many weeks it'll be before this change takes place. Yeah, I mean, you can see it, right? The NWO has become more and more prolific, and I think that ends up maybe being a driver as to why they expand the group as much as they do, too. Maybe they feel like they needed more bodies to be NWO because the NWO name is the draw, right? Um, Not realizing, perhaps, that watering it down would have the opposite effect. Uh, Yep. You know, taking away from the guys they wanted to see, so... It's definitely interesting to see some of the thought process, and that's what makes this project so uh, good, too, is that we're able to look at this stuff week to week, right? Not just pay-per-views or whatever. We're we're looking at it segment by segment on Mondays to see what clicks and what doesn't. I'm wondering if the kids think, like, what's interesting to me is, are, are there young viewers, were they coming in because it was at 8? Like, did they usually have that many children viewers at 9 to 10? Or did they tune in because it was earlier and then went to bed or they didn't like what they saw, right? So I'm yeah. curious if like that audience was actually up in general before they dipped out. Uh, we don't right. have to get into it tonight, but um, I wonder how much the eight to nine shifts, you know, added that there. So anyway, uh, we've been going for quite a bit tonight, so we can wrap up. It was it was a really uh, an episode we wanted to dive deep into. Uh, Chad referenced it before. The Place to Be podcast, episode 142 from 2012. Scott Criscolo and I had an interview with Kevin Kelly where we just we dove into this episode of Raw and the fall of 96 in pretty good detail. Um, Kevin shared his insights and thoughts and, and you know kind of behind-the-scenes view of how everything went down. So if you want to t- listen more about this episode, you can dig into the archives on that and uh, check it out. Uh, Chad, anything else before we get going? No, I think we uh, exhausted pretty much this from every angle, but okay. hope, hope to give some insight. For sure. And we'll be back in two weeks. We'll talk November 11th. That'll be the go-home for Survivor Series, so we'll get into that. We'll yep. see how they follow up in the home invasion, and we'll see how Nitro continues to move toward uh, World War Three as well. So, smell the napalm. Continue to check out everything on North-South Connection. We appreciate your support, and we'll talk to you soon.